Good morning, little Saigon, Seattle. Good morning to all my friends out there on the internet, the interweb, the interconnector of the spatial continuum of our own, our own barricaded souls. July the 22nd, Wednesday, hump day. What the fuck does hump day mean in this masktopia? Yes, it is a masktopia, a dystopia of wearing masks. It is Wednesday, July the 22nd, in this masktopia of my entirely broken heart. It is almost 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which means good morning, my people. It means good morning. Can you hear the twinkle twangle of the butterball birds as they sing outside your window? Can you hear the twinkle twangle of life as it glistens and glodules outside the window of your morning nook? Are you drinking your morning nook coffee and your and, and eating some morning nook biscuits? I'm trying to give the left hand a chance. Good morning. Fuck off. I know I still suck on the keyboard really bad. I should have been practicing during the Mastopia. Instead, I optimized according to the following basic rules. I am 50 years old. I do not give my odds of survival in the coming months and years. You know, I don't think my odds are that great. Better than many. Worse than some. None of our odds are going to be that great. And if you said, Dan, if I gave you in microeconomic terms a total of a thousand bucks, how would you spend it? Well, I'd spend most of it on food and rent. And then with the 200 bucks I had left, I would probably buy beer and weed. Um, and I'm not proud of that. I, I, you can't, you know, I'm not saying, oh, Dan, couldn't you invest in Bitcoin or couldn't you go to Bellevue Rare Coins? which I think is a cool place if you've never been there. But couldn't you go to Bellevue Rare Coins and get some silver, Dan? Couldn't you buy some 12-gauge and start making pop-pop guns with pipe in your in your apartment that you can't even pay rent for? Probably, I don't think any of those ideas work too well, so as stupid as my listen to music... 
vape weed and drink beer and drift away like Dobie Gray strategy sounds. It is not a survival strategy. It's essentially, it is a, it is a kind of hospice strategy. I don't like to say it that way, but in a way it is. If I'm being honest about it, it's, you're basically kind of admitting to yourself that your odds are shit. And so why not maximize your joy? Um, it's complicated too, because it's like this podcasting. You think it, on one level, it's quite easy for me to do. On another level, it's impossible for me to do. It's like writing. I can write, I can write reliably one to 2,000 solid words an hour. And, and I've written, you know, short stories in a day and I'm not bragging. It's just, I can do that. That doesn't mean it's good writing. The problem is, if I think everything is crap, which has mostly been progressively like some evil, relentless Fibonacci spiral since the year 2010 and Biden's recovery summer, Biden went on a recovery summer tour in the year 2010. <laughs> and the number of hookers on Aurora Avenue in Seattle and the number of hookers. Yes, I had some can of butter with my coffee this morning. And the number of hookers, I'll have some water too. And the number of hookers on Aurora Avenue in Seattle multiplied exponentially. And if you think and if you believe I think that's funny, I do not. I do not think it's funny. I do not think it's funny. In the least, it is not hilarious. It is not funny. It is truth. It is my truth. It's not necessarily your truth. It is the stranded skier. I've spoken about the stranded skier. If you don't know about the stranded, unconscious, slowly dying skier, the hipster skier from Seattle that is slowly dying in the snow, and in the brain of the hipster skier, he thinks he's up in the fucking chalet with the fucking beautiful underwear models <laughs> he thinks he's up in the chalet he's up in the chalet with these beautiful amazing healthy busty young um underwear models but in reality in reality he's slowly dying in the snow He's unconscious, he's, he's, he is entering a hypothermic state because no matter what kind of clothing you wear, if you lay in the snow, eventually you will get hypothermia. So he's slowly dying in the snow. He thinks he's at the chalet. That is the US economy of the last 10 years, folks. If you think it was something else, you were probably with the hipster Chad in the chalet when in reality, you didn't realize you were actually just the part of the body that it was conserving. Because that's what the body does. It pulls the blood to the core. It conserves the core. That makes sense. But it is also an absurd logic. Because if you have no arms or legs, um, or functional eyelids, or the ability to open and close your mouth, the fact that your brain and your heart and your lungs are still working is not necessarily that useful. So that is kind of the, the, the dilemma and the problem of that approach. And that's been, in my opinion, the U.S. economy and perhaps the global economy 
for, for at least the last 10 years and perhaps longer. So anywho, that was a bit of a rant. Was it a rant about good morning? Did I rant about saying good morning when instead I should have been someone like... I need to learn to play this in a way that allows me to play happy, fun songs that make people like... I could sing, Oh, good morning. Good morning to my friends on the internet. Are you feeling okay about the sky? Does it look really weird? Does it look like it's about to die? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I should do that. It's kind of like those children's books, like the idea about Stalin's disappearing friends. Because Stalin did have a lot of friends, including a few that were probably friends when, when they were just really just young kids. Running around torturing <laughs> torturing cats in Georgia, in Georgia, torturing cats. They probably he probably had a lot of young friends that he enjoyed torturing cats with, and they just kind of slowly faded away, like a like a memory of a drunken party that was that was very regretful. I've had those. The memory becomes foggy in part, not because of the alcohol, but because the desire to forget. It is possible to learn to forget. It is not easy. Sometimes it involves taking memories that are painful and overriding them with new memories. Like say, let's say, for example, someone you loved died drowning. Okay, this is not funny. Someone you loved was swimming and they drowned. And for a lot of people, that could result in any time they go to the water or to a pool or anywhere you can swim, they might get sad. And that is true. But what if one approach is to overwrite that memory, to to overwrite it like you would with memory in a computer, to essentially say, I'm going to go swimming a lot so that that trauma memory gets overwritten with stuff that isn't trauma. In fact, maybe even some really good days. So it's complicated. I don't have any answers, people. But you can, in my opinion, learn to forget. It is possible. I've done it. Um, I actually think, and this is going to sound like a weird kind of voodoo science, but I actually think the combination of alcohol, weed, and music is a great way to format your brain. Now, that being said... You don't want all your memories erased. It's just that it's a great way to, like, I would say, create networks that the ultimate impact of expanding neural networks in the brain is, in fact, to create less information. This is something that people need to understand, that a, a completely fully connected graph is as meaningless as a bunch of nodes that are not connected. They, they are both equally meaningless. The The meaning in the brain is the sparseness. It's the trees. It's the the substructures. And these are the things that kind of fall into place if you have less growth, which means in reality, for you to learn, brain cells have to die. So if you can achieve a kind of weird simulated annealing by combining two things, alcohol, which targets the memories you want to get rid of, and then weed, which, you know, sponsors neurogenesis, 
Yeah, that's my hobo. That is my shit can. Rationalization, hobo logic behind why I sometimes spend three or four hours drifting away like Dobie Gray, drinking a few Rainier beers, vaping weed on my volcano, and listening to my music. That is a textbook example of probably some totally stony bullshit. I don't really know. I don't know, folks. I don't know. I, I, I was talking to Jim about this, and it said, you know, all I can say is I just have questions. And every day I end up with more questions. I'd also like to say something else before I continue. I have people who have been extraordinarily generous to me both in terms of their time and their money and their support. And I'm not going to name names. Some of these people are guests on the show, and you'd know who they are. In fact, I would probably argue that every guest on my show is technically a member of this list by default because they give of their time. So everyone that's a guest, Quincy, um, Joshua's going to be back on tomorrow, AJ, Carmageddon, Jim... Seattle Mike, everyone that's a guest and guests to come, and if I forgot a name, fuck me, I'm an asshole. But everyone who comes on the show, um, as these folks have, in honest, decent, upfront ways, without a hidden agenda. Um, and this includes like my niece and nephew too, but I, I don't want to just bring them into it because those shows are old and they have their own lives and things are getting risky for people. But I consider them part of this list too, and you know, definitely other people. But the point is, there are people who've been really generous in terms of their time and their money for my podcast. I don't know if it's worth it. I really don't know. I have that question every day. There was a time back in January. Oh, there was a time back in January. Can you imagine the time before the crash of Kobe Bryant? That was a halcyon age where you could still get tacos. Tacos without the desperate mass process. Yes, you can get tacos today, but you must put on your mask, you son of a bitch. Yes, indeed. You remember January? I don't know. Back then... I had a fairly simple growth model for my podcast. I was getting more donors. Um, there were more donors who could only afford to pay less, but that's the model I want. I wanted a model of, you know, enough people so I could basically pay for two or three grand a month. That that keeps me alive. That was my goal. And, and I never really considered it that ambitious. I always thought it was kind of like, that seemed like a rational low-end goal. And in January, it looked like I was going to reach it by July, right now. And so I, you know, and I was going to like do a few things to get a little extra help here and there, but I thought I was going to reach it. And um, that never happened. Um, and you know what? I'm not going to fucking complain because who the fuck am I? You know, who the fuck am I? This is the thing that I think I try to explain to people and I and I and I I respect them and I love them, but I wish they would listen. When I say I'm just an old fucking hobo in Little Saigon, Seattle, it's really not just a sort of a turn of speech for me. Um, 
And maybe it is self-immolation. Maybe I do have, you know, I think my ex-wife once said I had negative, neg- negative ego inflation, which really sounds like something the Federal Reserve came up with and not Carl Jung. I don't, I don't know. But, and, and I'm not beating up on my ex-wife. I hope she's happy, whatever she's doing. But the point is, yeah, um, I do have low self-esteem. I don't have an easy fix to it. If I did, I would have fixed it a few decades ago. I think marijuana helps. If you want to know if weed helps, it does. But weed's not magical, folks. Weed is just a fucking plant. And yes, it's an amazing plant. And it probably, if we treated it with respect, it probably could, in many ways, heal the world. But the problem is, we don't treat it with respect. We don't treat life with respect. We don't treat each other with respect. We have demeaned and diminished. And you know what? One could argue that it all gets back to that fucking little rectangle that becomes more and more worthless every fucking year. That little green fucking rectangle. And folks, I'm not opposed to cash. Do not mistake what I'm saying as Dan just said that coins and cash was bad. No, use what you must as long as you can. Yeah, use what you must as long as you can. I'm a, I'm a believer in having a percentage of, of stuff in coins and cash because that's going to be a scenario. I'm also a believer in having physical gold and silver. And then as far as the rest of it goes, put it into stuff you can protect with a rifle. Um, so food, water, shelter, <laughs> and, and whatever training skills and books, real books, folks. Oh, damn, that's crazy. Did you just say I should probably go to the used bookstore and buy real books? Oh, listen, you can call me crazy and you can beat me up. Best case scenario, you're going to be living in a world of blackouts, at least at least in the short term. So in the short term, people are going to want to be entertained and they're going to run. And, and here's the thing, folks. You're not going to have all the books saved probably that you want. I know, oh, Dan, I have everything saved on my Kindle. Yeah, but what if the Kindle has weird licensing software that causes it to, like, not work if the network is down? Oh, my Kindle, I think of you. Oh, my Kindle. I remember the time when I forgot, when I forgot, when I forgot to take my Kindle out of my car. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I have patrons, people who you know. And I think I might even include Beans as a patron, theoretically, but I have patrons. Um, patrons are people to be respected. So these are people who've given me, in my opinion, way more money than they should. I wish that everybody could pay me five bucks a year. And I had enough people that I could pay for three grand a month of life. And that would be my goal. But that's not reality right now. And I'm not going to fucking bitch and moan to a bunch of fucking moms and dads. 
The reality is I got, currently I have food, I have water, I have shelter. I am behind on rent, but I think other people are as well. And they've said that there's some sort of a cease and desist on, on kicking people out. I don't really know how long that's going to last. I'm not really sure that's a thing anyone should depend upon. And, and listen, if they do do something to protect people, it'll be strings attached. Oh, make sure you get tested. Get tested for the COVID. Have that thing shoved up your Novid. Watch out for the COVID. Get tested for that goddamn COVID. Yeah, that's not much of a song. I suck. I wish I knew the keyboard better and I didn't suck so much. But the reality is, folks, sometimes we just suck and we still love something. That is also a crazy truth I've learned in this life. You can suck at things that you still love and you love to do. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. Listen, there are great fly fishermen in this world. I would call them artists, right? I would. The greatest, I mean, for what trout and salmon still run that aren't poisoned and dead, there are places where people do great work with a fly, um, fly where fly fishermen prove their art form. It is an art form. But there are lots of people who are just pretty good at it, and they're happy about that. And so maybe they don't catch the biggest trout, and maybe they don't go after the, the most difficult parts of the river, but they're still happy. So yeah, it's a complicated thing you learn in this life, that there are things that you, there are things that you um, end up loving and loving to do that you never end up doing that well. So, next depressing topic, because, uh, anyways, I just want to say one more time, to all the folks out there who've been generous with money and time to this podcast, just please know, note that you're in my prayers, and I really appreciate you folks, and this includes everyone, um, especially my sister Mary and Beans, um, but definitely everybody you guys have helped me out in a lot of ways. I don't know that I deserve the help. You know, I don't know that I deserve the time of, you know, people like, you know, Jim, especially, who's been really generous with his time. And, or to any of the folks, other folks, that I don't know if I deserve their time or their money, but they've been generous with it. So I don't know if they're going to hear this. And you know what? Sometimes that doesn't matter. I have a connection to Jesus Christ. Now, is it a good connection? I don't know. I think it's as good as a track phone. And guess what? That track phone connection with AJ, that was actually pretty good. I thought it sounded pretty good. And it makes me realize something. Here's the thing, folks. I'm not going to go down some crazy conspiracy path, but you need to meditate on this. It is really cool to have a phone that can do 50 things at once. But the problem is, I just want a phone that works to call people, basically, and to end a text message. So basically, the things that I want it to do reliably, a lot of these really cool phones really can't do reliably because they're not designed to any longer. They really just don't even work that way. So, and, and yeah, you'll say, well, Dan, that's not true. I record really clear stuff. Maybe you do. 
But for whatever reason, and maybe I'm a targeted individual, I don't believe I don't really believe I am. Do I believe that's a thing? Yeah. Do I believe I am? No, I'm not that special. But the point is, I've had really bad luck with these smartphones. And with the simple phones like my Algatel or the or the or AJ's track phone, it was really it was a really good connection. And I think that's worth meditating on. I'm not sure it's helpful at this point, you know. I don't know. I don't know if it's helpful at this point. Anyways. I have a a next note in here. So you guys know, I have I I haven't been able to do these solo podcasts in a while. So I did one yesterday and I'm doing another one today, but I'm playing like catch up which means that this one may not last that long. Um, it could last a while. Some of this is stuff I ended up talking with, you know, Jim and Seattle Mike and Quincy and AJ, you know, and now with Carmageddon, although maybe not this stuff so much, but I've been talking with these different new guests I have about a lot of this stuff. And... um so if I skip through it, if I sort of dance through the next topics, please be kind, but do provide scorns. I deserve scorn. And when I say scorn, if I'm slurring my... I'm going to get some water here. I deserve your scorn, as in Sierra, Charlie, Oscar, Romeo, November. Scorn. I totally deserve your scorn. Trump and the whole mask issue. Folks, here's the deal. In 2016, I basically made a stupid poster, a Dr. Freckles poster, saying that Trump was going to be this year's Obama. And and it really kind of pissed people off. Like, Dan, you don't understand the deeper shit going on. It's like, listen, dude. I know that storyline helps you. But if you really examine the shit that Trump's been doing since he's been in office, it's a lot of really crooked, neocon bullshit. Like saying, oh, that oil in Syria, that's ours, okay? And yeah, I know back in, you know, 2013, he probably was opposed to Obama. Folks, that's how the dialectic works. That's how their divide-and-conquer satanic logic works. They take an opposite side, they, they, and then they migrate. They transmogrify themselves. Conservative, liberal, conservative, liberal. These, say, these, these demons can be either and both, folks. You gotta get over that shit. That old Republican-Democrat shit. That's just the skin a demon wears. <laughs> Yeah, that's the skin of a demon. The Democrat, Republican, Democrat. Anyways, here's the deal, folks. If Trump is telling you to wear a mask in the hot sun, he is telling you to put yourself at risk for heat stroke. If if Trump is telling you to wear a mask, it's also true that you're going to recycle garbage, bacteria, crap in your mouth. You're going to recycle toxins. It's just that that is that simple. 
you are obstructing your airway. You may not be obstructing it in a gigantic way, but frankly, you'd be surprised by how much, especially if you wear a mask that works. That's the critical point. If you wore one of these N95s and have it seated correctly, oh, yeah, you're probably putting yourself at risk um, in a lot of ways. If you're wearing these, these cloth masks that the state of Washington says will, will somehow stop dro droplets. <laughs> oh, my God. I had sorry, you know, I, you know, when I was in the service, we would go through nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare training. And this included going in the shed or the CS chamber. And that's a chamber where you'd go in and basically mop one, which is just your mask on. I think that's correct. If I have it incorrect, I've been out of the Army for years. But as I recall, mop one is just mask on. Um, and that's it. And you go in there with your mask on, in the op one operational level of readiness. And there are others where you have to have your suit on, your gloves on. You can research this mop levels. If I, I don't even wanna give you the, the levels so you can get them correctly. Research M-O-P-P-P, M-O-P-P dash levels, NBC warfare, and you'll get the levels. But anyways, there's a level where you basically just have your mask on and you go into the CS chamber and the funny NBC and the fun the funny NBC sergeant. <laughs> the really funny, hilarious US Army NCO in charge of nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare training. He takes a little, it looks, it, it, as I remember, it looked like a little tin, a tin, like you might have a candle in a tin and you light the candle and basically he takes this tin and he lights it and this thing just starts releasing CS gas, which is, CS gas I think is considered technically okay according to the Geneva Convention, but between you and I, I was in really good shape when I first was exposed to CS gas, I was 20 years old. I could probably run two miles in 12 minutes. And, and eventually I got that, that down to 11 minutes, which is not that great. That's not a world record, but that's, that's not a sign of respiratory you know, problems. Anyways, it was very, very hard for me to deal with that. CS gas, when you take off the mask, you, they say, breathe it in. The funny NCO says, take off the mask. And keep in mind, because you're at a certain mop level, your, your arms are already exposed, so you're sweating, right? Well, guess what? CS gas attaches to your sweat and causes your skin to burn. So it's not just that it impacts your ability to breathe. It actually, anything you're sweaty, your, your eyes, everything, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your lungs, everything burns from CS gas. That's right. Everything burns from CS gas. So the funny NCO tells you to take off the mask. He says, take a good breath, which you're going to do because he's going to keep you in there long enough. 
And then he says, okay, you can leave. And then you go out. And so I never puked. That's the one thing I'll say. But some people end up puking. It's that bad of an experience. And if you understand that in actual combat operations, if you were to use yes gas, you would be laying it pretty fucking thick. So that little fucking tin of, you know, Uncle Gumbus's, <laughs> Uncle Gumbus's nuclear biological chemical warfare, good old sergeant's tin of uh, CS gas, I'm thinking it's going to be a little bit more intense than that. They're going to lay it on a little bit thicker. And I'm guessing probably more advanced because that was like 20 fucking years ago, folks. I mean, you don't really realize, in, in a lot of ways, you never quite understand the concept of time until you reach a certain age. And it's not always 50, folks. So for some people, it's 20. But that was 20 fucking years ago. And folks, this is not that world. This, we, are, we have drifted so far through space in that esoteric, conceptual, metaphysical sense beyond the world where, where we were at that it's hard for me to me, even to imagine um, that world. In that world, I believe that I would one day have a decent middle-class life. I didn't want more than that. I would have been happy achieving that. But what I found out is that it wasn't that easy to navigate that. And it turned out to be insane. And I'm not blaming the world, folks. This is not that at all. A lot of people did end up getting a kind of middle-class life. It happened for a lot of people, okay? And it probably was because they did, they just made better decisions. Let's just be honest. Um, but it's not just that, folks. I would be happy if I could go back to January of 2020. If I could design... I had a... When I was 16, and, and since I'm going off on tangents, let's keep going. Is Trump wearing the mask? Okay, folks, if Trump tells you to wear the mask, blah, 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 blah. Actually, let's talk about this next topic, things that might happen versus things that will happen, things that should happen. Let me repeat that. Things that might happen versus things that will happen versus things that should happen. On my podcast, I try not to scare people. I know that sounds like I'm lying. I'm not. Um, I, I really don't want people to be alarmed in the sense of you should be scared. It's more like you should be aware. You should be thinking about the world right now. You should be... when Okay. And here's the thing, folks. I know I'm talking about the army a bit. It's not because I think the military is cool. And I am an anarchist. And I have my own feelings about these stupid fucking wars. On the other hand, if if we could magically go to something that some libertarians dream about, I mean, if we could magically have a functional, respectful, constitutional republic, if we could really have that, I'd be I would love that. I because that you know in that world, Henry David Thoreau will gripe, but in that world. Henry David Thoreau is allowed to exist. So I would settle for the world 
or a Henry David Thoreau is at least allowed to just be whatever kind of fucking Henry David Thoreau he wants to be within a certain range of things. And yeah, there are limits, but there, are not, there just weren't that many back then. And also, I'm not calling for slavery, folks. Slavery was wrong. It was always wrong, but it never really went away. That's another thing people don't really want to talk about. And I just don't mean customs in other countries. I mean quite literally human trafficking. That never ended. It just went deeper underground. In fact, you could argue that the first era of medical science was probably very much linked to the post-slavery era of human trafficking. Like, it, it could have been very much the case, especially in the fields of psychology and psychiatry. I would not be surprised if that, if that was uncovered on some level, that that's where human trafficking went on some level. I would not be. Not the whole thing, but, but if they found out that the asylum system of the, ninth, the late 19th and 20th century became another channel for, the, for the, the evil people, including the pedophiles, I would not be surprised. And it's not funny. Anyways, things that might happen, things that will happen, things that should happen. There are things that might happen, folks. I've had some heebie-jeebies about crap. Last night, I heard machine gun fire. I'm pretty certain it was machine gun fire. I do not know what kind. And so I should technically say automatic rifle. I think I heard an automatic rifle. I do not know what, I have no idea what kind. Could have been an AR-15, could have been an AK. I know some other people on Twitter confirmed the fact, so at least that shows that I'm not going insane. I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the crazy old man. I'm not the crazy old man on, Sim, on The Simpsons yet, you know, squinting through the window. Not that guy yet. But, um... <laughs> oh dear, this podcast is going is going so well. It's going so it's going so well. Yeah, it's going so well. I have to check the time there. Check the time. You always got to check the time. Be clear on the time. There are things that might happen, folks. I've had heebie-jeebies about really terrible stuff, but I've had that before and I've been wrong. And so I'm kind of hoping I'm wrong. I, um, but then there have been things I've been right about. This is the problem. It's okay. So I worked on this weird medical billing project about 10 years ago and it, it amounted to something very strange. Can you construct a functional medical bill from basically just um, a third-party administrator check register, which is just a payee register. You know, I you know, pay this doctor this much, pay this um, surgical clinic this much, pay this imaging clinic this much. Can you take that and can you map that back into a medical bill? It sounds crazy, and it's technically impossible. It's a kind of a one-way mapping. It, it isn't. It isn't. A, it is not a predictable function. But here's what you can do: you can do what I call I call the New Year's Eve assumption. Let's assume 
that you went shopping a year ago for New Year's Eve, but all you have is the amount you spent. Is it theoretically possible for you to figure out what you bought? And if you think about it, there are probably heuristics. And if you don't know, in computer science, a heuristic just means a rule. It's a rule you follow. And, it's, and, and the great thing about rules, if you design your algorithms correctly, the great thing about rules is that they're blazingly fast. So, you know, you can come to a conclusion quickly. That's great, right? Yeah, it's great. Unless the conclusion you come to rapidly is wrong. And that's really, really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. So rules are great. Rules are great in computer science until they're not. But, um... Yeah, where was I going with that bullshit? I don't even know anymore. Anyways, the medical billing project about figuring things out. Um, basically, if you just knew the amount, could you figure out what you bought for New Year's Eve a year ago if you knew the amount you spent? And also you get to know th other things too. There's other things you get to know, like you get to have catalogs or like those sales things that the grocery store sends out you get other you get to use other sources of evidence that would be available at the time if all you had was the total amount but you had access to the prices of everything at the time could you reconstruct the detail of of the of the amount you spent from just the total um, or some combination thereof of other total amounts you spent and i know that sounds crazy but that was the project and actually we ended up doing okay. We did about, I would call it a B plus. Um, it was very complex. And as I look back, I know I would do it differently today. If I had to reconstruct, you know, medical billing or even a treatment, a treatment pattern, because that was part of it too, trying to analyze treatment patterns. If I wanted to reconstruct, reconstruct that from a check register, a payee register, there's things I would do today that are very different from what I did you know, 10 years ago. Um, and also, it's an evil industry, too. The whole medical billing, healthcare finance, it is so horrible. I don't even want to go into, like, that whole thing. You know, on one level, it's intriguing from a data mining perspective. On another level, it's horrible because of that. I feel like, you know, okay, the next podcast that Jim and I are going to do is uh, is basically on how Medicare may, have, may destroy the... Medicare may have destroyed the world. <laughs> Actually, that sounds like an exaggeration. That Medicare, in fact, okay, you know the, okay, so I hope Jim is listening because Jim should meditate on this. Think about the Mississippi bubble in connection to Medicare. Imagine what we ended up doing is we created this super bubble and it was around healthcare and it created a super monster. But it was never ever going to be able to just keep growing and growing and growing forever. So at this point in time, it either becomes a really more disgusting, overreaching, unconstitutional monstrosity of medical abuse, or it kind of just collapses on itself, you know?
It just collapses like pancakes anyways. So anyways, there, so my point with the whole story, which I did have a point, is that when I think about the future, I think I'm off, I think these days I'm probably about a B or a B plus. I don't think I get it all right, but I got a lot of things right. I'm kind of just distressed out about the fact that I wanted to be more wrong. What I really wanted to do this year with my podcast, this is gonna blow your fucking mind. My goal for my podcast this year was to have fictional stuff, which was, which is what I was starting to do, to put some fictional stuff out there, um, like short stories and chapters of novels and stuff like that. And my other goal was to do fun. You know, like, okay, so you know like the podcast with Carmageddon? Um, it was fun riffing on Star Wars. And actually, you end up going to interesting places when you do that. It's funny if, you know, because he's actually a really smart guy. You know, he's a smart guy. So, like, even though it's a silly topic, talking about Star Wars, you end up going, especially as anarchists or voluntarists or libertarians, to these really interesting places. Like, I, I have come to the conclusion that I probably do need to write fanfic for Star Wars about some campaign to go backwards in time to rid the galaxy of Jedi. <laughs> To rid the galaxy of Jedi. Oh my god. I bet there are so many Star Wars people that might want to listen to me, but I've now so I've just alienated. Like, you can't hate the Jedi. It's like, listen, I think a person can be allowed. Okay, so let's think about this. In the year 2000, I had some really cool friends I worked with at Rolls-Royce in Indianapolis. Really cool friends. That was a good year. I had a cool girlfriend, cool friends. My life wasn't a disaster. I wasn't fucking everything up. I gotta say, 9-11 ruined that for the most part. Like, there was a chance that I was... In 2000 and 2001, I was going through some weird shit. But, but I was on my way to a good path. And if 9-11 hadn't happened... I know people say, 9-11... They made jet engines. When 9-11 happened, it was major layoffs. That's when I lost my job. But that was a great job. But the year 2000 was a great year, um, as far as that stuff goes. <sighs> Anyways, where was I going to go with that stupid shit? Sometimes I wonder, man. Oh, that's the can of butter coffee. That's the can of butter coffee talking. Yeah, that was the same year when I would get drunk at night. I'd play SimCity 2000. I've mentioned this one before. But I'd play SimCity 2000, and I would simply build cities of factories and prisons and roads connecting them. And I would just be drinking, and then they would you know, have their little make-believe newspaper articles about how mean the mayor... <laughs> they would have their... Little anger articles about how mean the shipbird mayor of of hell of Helltown is. <laughs> yeah, the shipbird mayor of Helltown. 
Oh my god, that's a movie. The shit bird. <laughs> I am kind of glad I've lost my train of thought. This might happen, <laughs> will happen, should happen. Shit is not the right stuff at this moment, probably. <laughs> yeah. 2000, the year 2000 was a weird year uh, for me. A lot of things were right. A lot of things worked. Um, and there's no going back to that. You don't get to go back to that. Anywho, I don't know what's going to happen, folks. I have no idea. I think at this point, you just have to be flexible. And and there's a lot of people who say to themselves, well, what about what should happen? Like the punishments and the actions against the evil people. And I agree with all of the basic premises about killing pedophiles. I think that that's probably the only thing you should do. On the other hand, I think you need to be certain that they're guilty. And not just fucking take bullshit evidence. Because other than that, because that's where it becomes a witch hunt. So basically with that, you have to be careful. You have to be smart. You have to be just. But you got to be careful. Other than, Then it becomes a witch hunt. Is what I would say. But do I believe there are evil people out there trafficking in children and abusing them? Yes. I think they've probably been doing it for centuries. And I would even go as far to say as the Catholic Church has probably been one of those channels for centuries. In fact, as a continuation of the Western Roman Empire, which means, and I've said this in the past, my basic premise about the Catholic Church is it's very, in many ways, it's like the zombie that rose up when the Western Roman Empire collapsed, you know? It really is. It's, it's, it's very Roman. It's not really that Christian. <laughs> you have to really, you have to kind of think about this. It's a really Roman church. It's not that Christian. And it's, and again, oh, Dan, you're beating up on Catholics. I was raised Catholic. I think I have a right to an opinion because people will beat up on me for being a, a freaking no-name Christian. I'm basically just a Christian. I've said, what kind of Christian are you? Well, I'm the kind of Christian that screws up a lot. I'm the kind of Christian that doesn't pray enough for a reason that I think maybe is a good reason. I take it very seriously. But the problem is I probably shouldn't do it the way I do it. Maybe, I don't know. I'm the kind of Christian that drinks too much, that probably vapes too much weed, that that doesn't really have enough concern for daily affairs at this point because I'm not able to keep the light of the world in my heart every day. I'm that kind of Christian too. Yeah, I, I, I have, you know, last night with the machine gun blast, man. Anyways, you know what? Let's move to the next topic because the next topic I think... Isn't it, you know, so let's forget what might happen or will happen or Trump wearing masks or stony paths of infinite regress into a mind that is now filled with existential causality worms. My mind is now infected with causality worms. And these worms are eating away at all of the directoids of the paths of the trees that connect all choices for all time. And you'd think that's a problem. 
it is a problem. Anyways, we need a happy topic, and we're not going to get it from causality worms because that's going to go nowhere. Uh-uh. I think causality worms is like, listen, we have enough problems. We have so many terrible problems pretty much all created by people and pretty much all of those people working for government. <laughs> we have enough government-created problems. We don't need causality worms. And I can only imagine the government response. Well, I mean, what if the solution is to generate new time, new timelines, new parallel timelines, so that they can just sort of blend and we can just send some construction workers in and they can just build concrete and connect them together. out so good with the fucking causality worms the government response to the causality worms would be a terrible crisis in fact i gotta make a note now a note now about the causality worms because i'm going off on a stupid fucking ta tangent of bullshit fuck causality worms what kind of bullshit is that we need to get to something fun fun before we we run out of time here you know, before time eats away at us, right? Anyways, you know, if there were causality worms that were eating away at the basic chains of causality and directional flow of cause and effect within the universe itself, if they were literally eating away at that, the government's response would probably be worse than the causality worms. I'm, I know that sounds like that's crazy, Dan, but I don't think so. The best solution is let the private sector come up with the magical, you know, causality spray, a kind of magical spray that keeps shit from falling apart. Spray it on. Spray on that spray. Oh, those damn worms are in here again. Look at all that shit over there. That's becoming a black hole. Just put on the spray, honey. And that black hole goes away. Hey, honey, a dinosaur popped out of a hole yesterday. Oh, just put on the causality spray. <laughs> just put on the causality spray, folks. That's what I'm saying. Oh, and if I seem jovial right now, you should also consider the possibility that I often mask my feelings, so... That is a another factoid about this hobo and little Saigon. So let's talk about something fun. I think it would be nice if we talked about something fucking fun. And I think it's a feel-good article if you see it from the right angle. And, and you know what? It was from my fucking to-do list. But it's still relevant in the sense that it allows us to go back to another time, not so long ago, like... 
like about a month ago, but it allows us to go back to about a month ago and we can imagine ourselves about a month ago in June. Um, and this is a really good feel good story. So I'm going to read this news story just like I used to you people. It comes from the New York Post and it was written by Hannah Sparks on June the 18th, 2020. Published time is 12.18 p.m. Presumably Eastern Standard Time. I wouldn't know. It could be converted to Pacific. I really don't know. But yeah, June the 18th, 2020. Headline. Drunk monkey gets life behind bars for attacking 250 humans. <laughs> Most monkeys are no more than two feet tall. But they're known to be as much as four times stronger than humans. That's how one drunk monkey named Kalua was able to tear through 250 people. And this isn't funny. I shouldn't laugh about this. Why am I laughing about this? This is fucked up. That's how one drunk monkey named Kalua. Remember, this is my feel-good story, folks. If you want to, like, put on your helmet of absurdity and understand that this is the story that you can read and it allows you to disconnect from the mask, the mask-topia, the dystopia of mask-wearing freaks. It allows you to disconnect from all this freaking satanic, demonic worship going on. This is the feel-good story. So let's just... Let's just start out from the beginning. Let's respect the author, Hannah. She wrote a great article, Hannah Sparks. Headline, Drunk Monkey. Drunk Monkey gets life behind bars for attacking 250 humans. Drunk Monkey is the name of my new punk band. I'm going to start, you know, at the slave camp next month. <laughs> oh, we're heading for some really, really fucked up situations, people. But anyways, this is a feel-good story from about a month ago. Drunk Monkey gets light behind bars for attacking 250 humans. Most monkeys are no more than, than about two feet tall, but they're known to be as much as four times stronger than humans. That's how one drunk monkey named Kalua was able to tear through 250 people and kill one while on a rampage in India. This week, zookeepers at, Z at Kanpur Zoological Park, charged with reassimilating the primate, for the last three years, have deemed him too dangerous to live among his kind and have sentenced him to solitary confinement for the rest of his life. The alcoholic animal belonged to an occultic... I'm sorry. It's not funny. It's not funny. The alcoholic animal belonged to an occultist in Mirzapur. Mirza, I don't know if I'm saying... I'm, I'm a racist. I'm not saying this right. The, the alcoholic animal belonged to an occultist in Mirzapur, Uttar Pradesh, 
whom local authorities believe supplied his pet with a regular diet of hard liquor and possibly... (laughs) Hard liquor and possibly... (laughs) Hard liquor and possibly monkey meat. Monkey meat. Um, I need to drink some water there. I am really sorry, folks. I am letting you down. I'm no Walter Cronkite. I'm no Walter Cronkite. But I think he was probably connected to some satanic forces, so that's okay, too. dissonant crappy bullshit my left hand i have not trained i suck i'm such a jerk anyways possibly monkey meat according to the daily's mail's report when the owner was found dead they believed he the neglected monkey likely i can't read this without being a son of a bitch when the owner was found dead Okay, folks. I mean, here's the deal. There are there are comedies in Shakespeare. There are comedies and even um, tragedies in Shakespeare that are they're meant to have you know some humor in them. But there are comedies in Shakespeare where there's some things that happen where if you really looked at them from the right angle, are kind of just terrible things. But we still think they're funny. I mean, I don't know. Um. It's complicated, folks. I don't know. I'm sorry. When the owner was found dead, they believed the neglected monkey, likely in the throes of withdrawal, took his aggression to the streets and began roaming the neighborhood and attacking people. (laughs) Oh, my God. Particularly the faces of women and children. Kalua had eluded animal trappers in the forest of Mirzapur for some time before finally being captured, IANS reported. Kalua, who is now six years old, was ultimately brought to the Kampur Zoo, where he remained hostile towards female zookeepers in particular, as well as monkeys. And I quote, We kept him in isolation for some months and then shifted him to a separate cage, said the zoo doctor, Maud Nazir. And I quote, There has been no change in his behavior, and he remains as aggressive as he was. It has been three years since he was brought here, but now it has been decided that he will remain in captivity all his life. Zoologist who worked with the simian noted that not only is Kalua addicted to alcohol, but he also refused to eat vegetables. <laughs> Guys, this is me. This is... I'm kidding. I eat. I try to get some vegetables once in a while. 
Once in a while, I add vegetables to my diet. It's not, it's, it's in no form that would be recognizable to anybody that believes in healthy natural gardening, but. <laughs> this is horrible. This is horrible. Poor fucking Kalua, poor fucking people. Anyways, zoologists who worked with the simian noted that not only is Kalua addicted to alcohol, but he also refused to eat vegetables and other typical monkey fare. I guess they're, you know, I think there's like a hipster restaurant in this. There's a hipster restaurant. There is a hipster. If you're a hipster and you're into restaurants and healthy eating and paleo, there's a hipster name here for this. Um, there's a hipster restaurant name called Other Typical Monkey Fair. That would be the name of the restaurant. You could even make that a chain. It could be a microbrew. You'd have a microbrew that's all paleo based on how the fucking whatever fucking orangutans let the shit sort of ferment on the vine, blah, 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 bullshit. And you could just fucking write an article on that and pay a professor at the University of Washington or Wazoo. Wazoo would be cheaper. Wazoo would be cheaper. So just pay a Wazoo professor to fucking certify the shit you're saying and you're good. Good to go. Other typical monkey fare. They also... <laughs> I can't read this because it's terrible. This is terrible. This is so monstrous. This is demonic. It's not funny. It's where we're at this point in human history. I think the reason why I'm laughing is like I said, this is almost comparing contrast like okay imagine you're being strangled but then the person strangling you releases a little this almost feels like that because i'm looking back at a time where this is the article this is the thing this is shocking and it is shocking they also believe that his rage may have been a result a result and this is incorrect spell um sentence structure on their part a result of, and I'm sorry, Hannah, you did a great job, of the cannibalistic regimen of the occultist prescribed to his animal. Hmm. Kalua may be locked up tight, but a troop of mischievous monkeys in Marut near Delhi stormed the campus of a medical college, stormed the campus of a medical college last month, stealing several coronavirus positive blood samples and causing an outbreak panic in their community. Why would they do that? That's a weird story. I gotta be honest. <laughs> I could see, I could see going from Kahlua, the alcoholic months, which is not. <laughs> this is a TV show, right? <laughs> Kahlua. The alcoholic, the alcoholic monkey, the alcoholic cannibalistic monkey. This is a TV show about Kahlua. The alcoholic cannibalistic monkey. <laughs> the crazy shit he does. The crazy shit he does. The crazy shit he does. 
This is not funny. This is terrible. But this shit about these monkeys doing this shit, it's like, what the fuck? Why would they steal the fucking blood? Or whatever, samples. I don't know. Although the samples were lost, a local official at the university assured the public there is no evidence, quote-unquote, that, that the monkeys, that monkeys have transmitted COVID-19 to humans at this point. However, scientists do know that they have the ability to develop a natural immunity, quote-unquote, after exposure to the virus. A hint that the same, that the same could be said of humans. So, actually, it's a good article. Thank you, Hannah Sparks. You're a good writer. Weird times, folks. Weird times. I get all weird about these times. Yeah, I get weird. I get weird about these times, but, you know, here's the thing about the drunk monkey story, folks. If you're wondering why I read it and why... You think I'm a jerk now. It's like, Dan, it's not funny. What the drunk monkey did was terrible. Yeah! What the drunk monkey did was terrible. Let's sort of editorialize on the story. Hannah Sparks wrote a good story, a solid news story. We know about a monkey. We know it was addicted to alcohol. <laughs> we also know it may have gotten in, you know, into eating human flesh. And then there's this side story about this whole posse of monkeys that steals COVID-19 samples. That's kind of... I gotta be honest with you folks. I couldn't believe if they said if they said a bunch of monkeys stole car stereos. I think I could believe that. I mean, I don't think it. You know, we we would probably need a an expert, a primatologist, or whatever to explain why they did it, or <clears throat> you know. But if you told me a bunch of monkeys stole the stereos out of people's cars at the parks, where they they would park, they go to the park. And monkeys would go and steal their car stereos. I could believe that shit, okay? Animals do crazy shit. We don't always understand why. Guess what? We do crazy shit. We don't always understand why. Um, but I have a hard time understanding any payoff model for stealing something as completely absurdly obtuse and ridiculously separate from any useful thing to a monkey as a bunch of COVID-19 samples or whatever. This is a really stupid story. I don't mean Hannah Sparks. Hannah Sparks wrote a good story. But this part of it that she wrote accurately about, okay, accurately about, this part of it really is weird to me. Is like, how the fuck does that work? How How is it these fucking monkeys are like, you know... And actually, tip my hat again to Hannah because she put it in the article. It... It is a great way of basically saying, think about this. It's This is kind of crazy shit, folks. I don't know what to think about it. I don't know. I know, and this is also what's so terrible. And why I'm a really bad guy. Because it is probably not a good story to read. But at the same time, and I have a friend in St. Louis, and he knows what I mean when I say that. <sighs> At the same time, 
as ridiculous as this story is, as silly and ridiculous as the story of the drunk monkey is, in the contrast to what looks like the hell we're in right now and the hell we're headed towards, I don't know what to tell you. I think the drunk monkey story is like the salad days. Like, oh, you remember when all we had to worry about were monkeys that got silly addicted to whiskey and rampaged through the neighborhood, you know, stealing <laughs> stealing blood samples and car stereos and chunks of human flesh or something. And like, that was all we had to worry about. That was it. And, and that's a problem, folks. Let's just get down to brass tacks. That's a problem that has many easy and convenient and also drone-based solutions. So there's not really, it's not going to be a problem for very long. With with little drones, little tree clamp-on cannons, you put a little cannon on a tree with a, with a, you know, a couple crossbow arrows <laughs> retracted, ready to go. Yeah, you're ready to go with your auto cannon. So yeah, I, I read about the drunk monkey, and I hope you guys understand why. I also think it's okay if you don't. Um, I have a dark, absurd sense of humor. I always have. I have come to a peace with the fact that I am someone who sees the clouds more than the sunlight. And that doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make me a good person. It makes me a different person. People are different. And I don't know what to tell you beyond that. Hey, I had another note in here called The Screaming Woman. I don't... I, I think it related to the... Okay. So there's a woman on 12th Avenue, a homeless woman, I think, homeless. And, and, or she might have a home, but, but she's also just crazy. Or maybe she's not crazy, she's just loud. But she would walk up and down 12th Avenue, and if you're out... Well, number one, don't make eye contact because there's actually her and another, another dude. There's a dude, there's actually a, 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 I think Quincy would want me to say black dude. There's a black dude, black homeless guy. So this other, the woman I'm talking about right now is I think you'd say Caucasian or white, whatever. But there was a, there's a crazy white woman and this crazy black dude. You don't want to engage them because then they'll start randomly screaming shit at you. Like crazy shit. I mean, sometimes if you engage me, I'll say stuff that's probably, if you're a normie, uh, outside your machine gun safe zone, okay? But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so she goes up and down 12th Avenue screaming crazy shit. And um, even if you don't engage her, she'll just start screaming about something that was done to her or she wants to do to somebody else. And and not, and you know what's really terrible is that too is not funny. That's why I don't want to really talk about it. Next note, meeting new people is scary. God, I wish I could just put on an organ for this. Can I do that? Do I get to do that? Do I get to do that? Is that okay? 
that's right. There's this part of me that thinks it's not right. There's this part of me that thinks it's okay. I don't know anymore. Sometimes I think it's all just broken, like... It's bullshit. Maybe I should just stick to, like... next topic is meeting new people is scary. Let me let you on a little secret, folks. Um, I have a, I have a really terrible, um, stupid, ridiculous, not properly managed self-esteem issue for a 50-year-old man. So if you want to like cast, Dan, you could just take a drug for that. I'm sure there is a drug and weed does help, but it's not perfect. And actually, weed helps a lot with this, because if it weren't for marijuana, I don't think I would meet many new people at all. I I used to be angrier. I'm still get, I still get angry, but not like I used to, not in the ways I used to. It just was different. But it's also not perfect, folks, and you can't bottle up your anger, and you need to do other things like exercise and have a life. You can't just waste away. This isn't, I would not advocate for that. It's not a good life in the end. Anyways, um, but meeting new people is scary. And in recent weeks, I've decided to like expand my podcast and talk to new people. And great. You know what? That's great. I love it. On, on a certain level, it's wonderful. It's fucking great. On the other hand, it's scary as fuck for a person like me. Um, it's hard for me to say that I can trust someone like, I actually met Seattle Mike in person, and we met, and we even did a little bit of YouTube work together in CHOP, you know, the CHOP Seattle Project. <laughs> Mayor Jenny Durkin's magical, magical green Seattle zone of communist goodness. Yes, <clears throat> yeah, so I've met people recently in person and online and a number of years ago. And here's the thing is, I screwed up. I mentioned this in the previous podcast, and I'll probably do it until I get over my shit. But in 2017, I screwed up some human relationships I shouldn't have. And I did it because I went crazy, but that's not really a good excuse. Um, so meeting new people is hard for me. And it doesn't matter if it's in person. You know, my friend in St. Louis, <clears throat> my friend in St. Louis, my friend in St. Louis visited me a few years ago. Wow, was it a few years ago? No, or was it basically like a year ago? No, it'll be two years, I think it'll be two years ago soon. If I'm correct on my mathematicals. 
or would it be? I think it would be. I don't know. I am losing track of time. That was a very strange, strange, strange fucking time in my life. But I think theoretically that would have been 2018. So shit, I think it is going to be like that. I think it will be two years ago soon. This is the thing, folks. This weird fucking dystopia is kind of screwing up with my own personal timeline, too. It's like I put together a podcast schedule a few, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I thought, okay, I'm getting organized. I got my podcast schedule together. You can hear the tickle-tackle of the clunky click. You can hear the clicky-clack of the work of the hard work of a podcaster drinking his coffee in his garden nook. <laughs> yeah, some kind of fucking bullshit like that. I don't really know. I don't have a good answer to this question. It's a question I ask myself. I ask it over and over again. But how do you trust people you don't know? Why would they want to fucking trust me? I met a dude a few a number of months ago. I, I would also call him a patron. Um, I, I only met him once. I met him in person once. He was literally... I call him... The, I'll call him the brown bag patron. He literally gave me a brown bag of goodies, which included money. And it was like... He was like a really cool dude. You know, we had lunch together. It's as much as I'll say to protect him. But he was a really cool dude. And if he's still listening, you need to know something, dude. You're also a patron. I know I'm skipping back to a previous topic. Gotta finish shit off. But I needed to remember to just point you out. Um, But it takes a lot to trust people. Why would he trust me? Why would any crazy motherfucker... You know, I actually thought... So I thought my friend from St. Louis, before I met him, was going to be like a hitman. Because I had, I thought at that point I had at least two enemies. And maybe one of them was, well, both of them get earned in a sense. You always earn your enemies, but one of them was deserved. Um, I thought at that point. So I figured, what if there's hitman after? I know, it's this really paranoid shit. That shit I don't want to unpack right now. But your brain... I will never, ever, ever do LSD again. I'll do shrooms again. I think shrooms are probably fine, but... I mean, you know, within reason. It's like the analogy I made, I think, yesterday about scuba diving. Maybe I'd like to finish it. It's this simple. Just because you can you you can go buy scuba, scuba gear. You can do this. You can go buy scuba gear, and you can go decide to go scuba diving in the Puget Sound, Okay. But if you don't have any training, there's a very good chance you're going to die. It's not that dire with shrooms, okay? But it's also not risk-free. So that's something people need to consider. They need to do things safely. Especially if you're a Christian, you know. Especially if you're a Christian, I would say that. But LSD is no good from my perspective. I... I've had I had a really bad experience back then. Trusting new people for me is terrible. I have no good way to solve that problem. Um, I think of myself as a scary person, and and eventually the problem with thinking about yourself as a scary person is eventually um, 
you kind of become scary. You know, you don't shower, you don't take care of yourself, you don't go out, you basically act like a scary person. And eventually it's like, that's how that is. That's how it happens. Um, and I don't have an answer to that question. Like, how do you solve that? If you're a hermit, if you're living in Seattle, if you're if you're a Christian and an anarchist and all you really want to do is get paid to do work, but you don't want to deal with the coming darkness, how do you do how do you do that? And I currently don't have an answer to that question. I don't. And I do feel like at some point in my my near future, my time will be up. You know, I've been watching um and I'm not proud of it. Not proud of what I'm about to say. Not proud, not proud, not proud. Okay, I'm going to talk about something I'm not proud about. But I've been watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And in the season I was watching, um, they go to this seminar about sexual harassment because... <laughs> Yeah, they go to a seminar about sexual harassment that's totally fake and a setup. And I forget the name of the dude, but he's like, you know, Sweet D's brother, whatever. Anyways, I always forget his name. He's like, he basically set the whole thing up. And he does this little PowerPoint where every time he ends a segment of the PowerPoint, it's like your time's up, time's up. Time's up, Monster Man. <laughs> Not with the keyboard, but he just goes, Time's up. Oh my God. Dennis. Dennis. That motherfucker's name, Dennis. Dennis set it up. He set up this thing where it was like the worst bars in Philadelphia, <laughs> the ones that women didn't want to go to type list. Totally fake. In order to basically tell his co-workers that time's up. Time's up! And wow, I have to say, that episode, in, in the coming months, there's no way it's not going to get censored. You have to also meditate on this shit, folks. Where we're headed, if we're headed to hyperstatism, and you know, maybe this is a weird segue from meeting new people, but maybe it's not. But if we're headed towards hyperstatism, which is, and I would define hyperstatism as something like, you know, 1984 or worse than really Brave New World, because I think we've already been there, um, but probably about as bad as THX 1138. And I'll leave it to you guys to research what's THX 1138. I'm not going to tell you. You research that shit yourself. If you don't know about George Orwell's 1984, read that yourself. But I think we're headed towards something like that. And I think actually we've been been—we've already been in what I would call the shallow water of, of Aldous Huxley. We've already been in the shallow... You need to understand, we've been in the shallow water of Aldous Huxley. We've had the Prozac. We've had the... Every freaking drug they want us to have, and they, and they make money off the ones they don't want us to have. So in reality, we've already been in Huxleyverse, 
for about since World War II, probably. Um, for the most part. Not totally, not completely, but eh. If, if, we're, if we really just get into the nub of things, it's just not that far off. Where we're headed is something like like THX 1138 or, or Orwell's 1984, some horrible combination thereof, a desexualized, dehumanized, humanmongous, everything's a simulation. If you don't do your job, you don't live. You're just a mongus. It's like that one dude said, this one TED Talk dude, you're just a connectome. I don't even want to research the fucker's name because he said you're just a connectome. You're just a connectome. You're just the representation of your neural networks in your brain. It's like, listen, dude, you need to back off because if you literally think that's true, then you're really missing the point. The map is not the terrain. I think a lot of neuroscientists are looking at maps right now, and I think that's great, especially for surgery. Let's get real. Good neural maps can help people preserve memories. And that is a real thing. That is a therapeutic thing. A real medical thing. Neural mapping as part of neural surgery to protect the brain and memory. But there are a lot of neural scientists right now that are mapping the brain and they want to tell you that the map is the terrain. And that's not really true because no neurosurgeon would tell you that. No neurosurgeon would tell you that we know enough right now to guarantee that you won't lose something. That's what's critical about our little segue here from meeting new people. Um, the map is not the terrain. We're not a connectome. But that's how they're defining us. That is the ugly space we're heading towards. I really don't know what's going to happen on the horizon. I fear something dark, but I don't know what. And I don't even know if it matters to a burnout like me. I just really don't know. And I don't know that I'm really so, so much scared for whatever's going to happen to me, but it's the general question of, What's going to happen to the people I love? What's going to happen to the world? That Even now I feel like if there was... And this is where folks... I hate the Dungeons and Dragons shit. I often hate the fucking mystical fantasy... You know, elves and orcs and fucking dwarves and magical mages and bugbears. I often hate that because it puts people into a frame of thinking and problem-solving that is in no way connected to reality. Now, do I believe prayer works, for example? I'm a Christian. Let's get that one out of the way. I am a Christian. I believe in the power of honest prayer. But that doesn't mean it's magic. That's a request to God, and God does not always answer yes. But believe me, I know this. And, and when God does say yes, it's not always the yes you expect. And that's okay, too, but you have to be flexible, you know. Yeah, I don't know, folks. We're not just a collection of neural networks. We're not just some topology defined by a neuroscientist who has adopted a certain type of data structure 
and then decided to encode it a certain way. And you guys need to meditate on this too. Even if they could really map the brain in a meaningful way, there's still the process of encoding. And if you think it's a if you think it's kind of like a well, Dan, you know, the great philosophers have already debated the functional equivalence theory, blah, 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 blah. Folks, even if you believed you could encode the brain in a meaningful way, down to every memory, every thought at, at some particular point in its brain state, what would that really look like if you encoded it? Would it be trivial? Because I'm of the opinion that it would actually be a lot, it would be bigger than we realize because it would probably incorporate things um, like Penrose talks about, Penrose staircases. It would probably potentially incorporate things like Penrose talks about in The Emperor's New Mind that could be operating at the quantum level. So how do we do that exactly? How do we know that what we're looking at isn't just the, the power surge, but not the actual work being done? There's a lot of things we think we know about mapping the brain that I'm not really 100% certain we should say we know. But it's scary what they want to do. I just don't know, folks. I'm sorry. It's just... I don't know. Meeting new people is scary. I guess I just made it sound like meeting new people is like going to some dungeon where they're going to expose you to some terrible glumbus. Maybe. <laughs> I should technically apologize for that, folks. I really should. But will I? Will I apologize for the Sklumbiak of the Duwamish River? No, I won't. I won't apologize for the Sklumbiak that currently grows on the edge of the Sklumbiak zone of the Duwamish River. I won't apologize for the monkus that is currently breeding on the edge of the, the Puget Sound near the sklumpy areas near the pipes. I won't apologize for the pipes. I don't think they should have been put there. I won't apologize for the lamprey rats that are now ravaging the peoples of the various parts of the Great King County Zone. I won't apologize for the lamprey rats or the super cats. There are now cats that are half liger, half house cat here now. They only weigh about 200 pounds. <laughs> but they're very ferocious. Although they love to play. It's heartbreaking, really. <laughs> Meeting new people is scary. If you don't, if you don't break that nut open, 
especially now where we're headed, it's hard because, you know, I forget the name of the song. There's an Alan Parsons Project song. And I don't remember the name of it. I could probably pull it up. Um, but it has lines in it like, don't let it show. And stuff like that. And it's like, there's this there's this one song, and maybe a couple of their songs, that had this forlorn sort of darkness to them. It's like that Mike and the Mechanics song, Silent Running. Darkly prophetic. I mean, songs that came out in the 1980s, but if you heard them today, it's haunting and prophetic, and it really does sort of twist at your soul. Um... Meeting new people now is putting yourself at risk, potentially. Meeting new people now is putting potentially other people at risk. Meeting new people now can be a question of someone wanting to capture you and put you into some sort of courtroom with some sort of fucking kangaroo court or some sort of bullshit and determining whether or not you actually have a right to exist. And none of this had to happen. But it is what did happen. I mean, it's kind of funny about how I told you I didn't want to get all stony and loopy on what might happen, will happen, should happen. Here's the deal, folks. This dystopia we're in... Yeah, I had crazy ideas about time travel in high school. I thought you could build a negative energy laser. And with that laser, you could potentially create what I would call, instead of time dilation, time contraction... So sort of like reversing relativistic mechanics. And so in theory, you could go backwards in time. But in reality, if there's a multiverse, it's more like you've skipped to a different timeline. But anyways, the idea is that you can simulate the effects of um, a modification of vectors X, Y, and Z by simply pumping a system with energy. Which is to say that imagine you had a coffee cup for a second. You had a coffee cup sitting on your fucking desk. And obviously it's made of stuff we call matter. And that matter is made of atoms, and those atoms have electrons that orbit them. And for the most part, not completely, but a big portion of what makes that coffee cup a coffee cup has to do with how atoms interact with each other. Excuse me, electrons interact with each other, which also includes atoms ultimately. But how both electrons and atoms, in terms of their... Um, in terms of their nuclear forces interact with each other. It's complicated. It's not simple. But what if you could take a laser? And so now I'm thinking about simulating momentum. Like imagine you took a 10-pound weight and dropped it from 100 feet. It has a certain amount of actual... It has potential energy at the top. When it hits the ground, it has actual kinetic energy or real energy, actual measurable joules of kinetic energy. Once that energy is released, once it impacts, once it reaches a point of impact, that energy can be released. But as long as it's in acceleration, it's still building energy technically. Like technically, if it can fall at 1G forever, theoretically, it could reach the speed of light, you know, assuming there was a force that could keep it, you know, <laughs> accelerating at 1G forever. Um, which also means it could become infinitely heavy and have infinite energy. I mean, the, the relativistic equations are complicated when it comes to 
what happens at the speed of light? It's it's a it's a, it's a very dangerous question mark. I and I'm not smart enough to to unpack that. But my crazy idea in high school was what if you could what if there was an anti photon, and what if you could take something like radioactive fluorine that releases positrons and run it through something like what what is what at the time was called a free electron laser. So a free electron laser would take a stream of electrons apply magnetic force under the energy conditions of the stream of electrons and that would release coherent radiation which is a laser. So that's how a free electron laser works. Um, the idea was to do the same thing with positrons. It's stupid and I don't think if anyone ever did it they probably did it because they were drunk. So please realize I was 16 and I was stupid. Um, but the idea was with a regular laser like actual regular energy that what if you could holographically distribute photons throughout an object? So I got the coffee cup on my fucking desk. What if I could simulate the kinetic energy of a coffee cup that had basically just fell 100 feet? What if I could do that? What if I could pump that coffee cup with that kinetic energy? What would happen? Well, I mean, one theory I would have is that you could probably take a fucking... Um, pencil and hit it it's kind of like in that show fringe i don't want to like talk tv shows but at one point they're talking about going between universes shit falls apart and he hits a coffee cup it falls apart i don't think that's what would happen in this case i think if you hit it with a pencil it would probably blow apart almost like a bomb actually i think this would be a way of creating oh god if if this actually could work like if you could holographically distribute photonic energy into an object without shearing and shearing is when is disintegration without it falling apart because you could here's the thing they've got they got huge lasers and if i take a gigantic super laser and i fire it at you you will turn into nothingness you will vaporize into nothing like it's a fucking star wars movie don't be in fact actually worse than star wars more like 2005 war of the worlds you just you vaporize into nothing they got lasers that are that powerful, overkill, over the top. Um, but what if you could take the energy scale of a laser like that and distribute it into an object in such a way that you can you can maintain molecular um, stability without without things burning or or falling apart? Which means, what if there's a translation between energy and momentum that is more direct? And it's a, it's a stupid idea. And, and, and the thing is, folks, I'm a stupid, burned-out computer programmer. So the idea that I would care about this idea or talk about it is only in reference to some stupid things we're talking about, which are completely ridiculous. Meeting new people is scary. Anyways, back then I hated being a teenager, so I wanted to build a time machine. I figured if you could, if you could pump an object with enough energy, you could probably simulate relativistic effects. So... Getting back to the coffee cup, imagine you could pump the coffee cup with the equivalent amount of energy that would take it to relativistic speeds in terms of energy equivalence without going anywhere. So you're basically, you're not going anywhere in space, but because of what you're doing, you are affecting time dilation. So imagine you could do that with the coffee cup. Well, in theory, it could jump five minutes in the future. And so it disappears, and you're in the lecture hall. Look at people. I just made a coffee cup disappear. And then five minutes later, it would show up again. Because again, the vectors of x, y, and z are still conserved. 
You're not affecting that. You're not changing that. The only thing you're impacting is energy and time. And I know it sounds stupid when you think about it, but I don't know. Um, so yeah, anyways, I thought, what if it could work in reverse? How would that look? And uh, frankly, the analogies and the thought processes, qualitatively speaking, back then were kind of just... Like, I had this weird theory about waves and... So in the sense that how we go through time and, and in terms of its flow and how we create waves and in theory, if we can slow down, the waves catch up with us. But this, that's not a very smart theory of how it would probably work. I think it is probably more like a general... Um, I think it would be in a, in a mathematical sense, although I'm no mathematician, it would be like an inverse function relationship. I really do think it would be almost... Um, an inversion. And so, um, and, and, and again, I don't want to do the whole as above, below, so below. This is not that, folks. I'm not a Satanist, so that's not what this is about. It's more like if there's something called time dilation, whereby if you go close enough to the speed of light, you'll go faster through time. And that's the idea behind this whole, what if I can simulate moving really fast without going anywhere? The actual things that would happen. Like, what if there is the other side of the equation that you can actually simulate the effects of moving really fast without actually going anywhere? And, and, and that would actually would modify energy and time. That's the one thing that would be true. It wouldn't be a true, it wouldn't be a total simulation. You would still end up paying the piper. There's no free lunch. You would still end up, like, if you did this to a coffee cup at a low scale, you would still end up with a really dangerous coffee cup that might actually be really hot. It's hard to say what, what it would do in that context. It might have an energy level and then just start decaying into being hot. It could, it could simply become unstable and explode. It's hard to know what the coffee cup does that has the energy level of an object that's been moving at 1G for, let's say, 100 feet but simply sitting there on the fucking table and, and still has that energy contained for that distance. It's, it's a weird thought experiment. It's hard to know what would happen. It, I kind of do think it would be a question of instability. Like at some point a fly, a fly, a tiny fly. And also it may simply cool off. Like it may literally be a question of just the basic physics of things. Like over time it would cool off. But like, like let's say before it cools off, so to speak, and loses its energy, a fly comes along and lands on it. I think that might cause it to explode. So, yeah. But no, the idea is that if you could holographically distribute photonic energy into an object at very high energy levels, you could create relativistic effects with, effect to, with respect to energy and time, and energy is the cost. Energy is what you're paying. It's, if you want to think of this in a transactional sense, energy is the cost. It's expensive. But if you can do it smartly, if you can do it in a, if you can do it in a way that every atom, every electron of every atom receives the amount of energy that would be appropriate, um, without causing molecular degradation, then in theory, yes, I think it, it, as a te stupid teenager, it made sense. As an adult, it's probably total bullshit. And so I don't even know why I'm talking about. But then I thought you could do it in reverse, go backwards in time. Why go backwards in time? Because meeting to meeting new people is scary. But then when you think about it, traveling to traveling, it, if you traveled through time, that would be like the ultimate form of getting out of your fucking hobbit hole. 
It really is. Like, that's way beyond going to another city. Being a time traveler. If you become a time traveler, you are basically deciding to set out on the world, to set out bravely, but throughout the, throughout the field, throughout the general field of the mechanics of free will. You're basically choosing to set sail on the open ocean of causality. Remember, there are causality worms. If you're a time traveler, If you're a time traveler, if you're a time traveler, you can potentially end up with time venereal disease. Like time syphilis. Time syphilis is no good. I know about this. I don't know. I beat the meeting new people to death topic. Let's check the time, boys and girls. How we doing? Holy crap. We're crazy time right now. But I want to finish off this list, people. I got a list of shit I need to knock out. Knock out of the park so I can kind of get caught up. I have spoken about the hooker republics of Lord Raz of Chaz. I don't want to talk about that stuff anymore. We talk about Chop Seattle. I just don't want to talk about Chop Seattle anymore. I think Chop Seattle is crooked as fuck. I think there's plenty of evidence that it's crooked as fuck. I think there's YouTube videos you can find so showing the city of Seattle doing things that one can only can only consider supportive of that simulation, of that snake pit, of that commie communist front, Black Lives Matters, Antifa snake pit. And I know a lot of people say, oh, but I'm a good person and I was there. Listen, I was young. I got fooled. So don't be afraid of being fooled. It happens when you're young. But listen, it was a snake pit. And it was enabled by the city of Seattle. And there's a very high likelihood that bad things happened. And that's why they had a police line. When I went there with my friend Mike, he can testify to this, you could not go see the cleanup they were doing. And that was like the second day. Okay, like I'd gone there the day before during the downfall I called it the downfall of Chop. The downfall of Chop. There was once a proud republic called... No, there was once a proud country. A proud country called the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. The Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone was invaded by the Skrunkiak lords of Region 2. Those lords used weapons that were like wooden clubs with large chunks of stone and flint sharpened flint sharpened flint to an edge and they beat the chaz lords to death this represents what's called the great transition to the first republic this would be called the republic of lord raz Raws would reign for approximately 72 bumblecks. No one knows how to translate that number. His role, his role would be followed by the lesbian socialists. 
of the Hooker Republic of what was now going to be called the CHOP because of the destruction that was caused by those other dudes. Yes, now it was the Capitol Hill occupied protest. Yeah, anyways, folks, I don't know how much I want to beat up on CHOP Chaz bullshit, mostly because I don't know what repercussions are coming. I believe in free speech. I've said this on my podcast. I'm a radical supporter of free speech. I think that this nation has become too afraid of words. And there are words. Listen, there's a word, I'll admit, the N-word. And when I say the N-word, and Quincy, if you're listening, you're probably going to be pissed off at me, or maybe you won't be. But when I say the N-word, I tend never to use that word. Why do I never use that word basically ever? Which means if you could find me ever using that word on a podcast, I'd be very surprised. If only for purposes of theatrics, I could see using it. The reason why I don't is it just doesn't make me feel comfortable. It, it, it does, in my personal case, bring up feelings regarding a certain part of this country's history that we really do need to be ashamed of. So I don't like using that word. But does that mean nobody should use that word? because I'm afraid of it? No. And I don't want to live in a country like that. And I used to believe, this is how naive I was, even until January, because people would tell me, Dan, you're too paranoid. Things aren't this bad. Oh boy, things can get worse. <laughs> yeah. I think I already have a podcast This name Things Can Get Worse. So I want to use that name, but I don't want to research like hundreds of podcasts to verify. Uh, anyways, yeah, things can get worse, folks. Things, you know. Things can get worse. They can get worse. They can get worse. That doesn't mean you should only live in the darkness, folks. Just because I see the clouds doesn't mean you should be ashamed that you see the sunlight. Please remember that anyways. Anywho, I have a glass that's empty. I should probably get up and fill it with water, but part of me just wants to burn through this shit so that I can get through it and you can get through it and you and I can get through the other side of this. So here's the deal. I think that the CHOP Seattle shit was crooked as fuck. And I think that there were interests involved, and I think there still are. All the Seattle protest stuff, this is not random, folks. Okay? This is not random. This is Joint Readiness Training Center, Light Infantry Training, Stability and Support Operations bullshit. This is failed state warfare but in this case we're seeing the op four or what's referred to as opposing forces what we haven't really seen yet is what's coming and that is the brave marines and army they're going to come in and save us from the op four which are really just mostly government agents that is the dark dystopia we're dwelling in right now and a lot of people want to believe that antifa is some organic group of commies but it's like I was talking to Jim about this, and I'm beginning to think this isn't a crazy theory. I don't think it was just Lenin 
that the Germans got into Russia in 1917, I think it was maybe 10 or 20 or 30,000 well-trained German troops who spoke Russian and probably mixed with some actual Russians who were well-trained with good weapons, who looked like peasants, but were actually given really good weapons because the Germans were experimenting with some good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it's worth commenting and thinking about 1917 with respect to innovation and the German military as well. Um, people often don't think about that. Anyways, the Germans really wanted to shut down the Eastern Front so they could shift to the Western Front and defeat the fucking French and British before the Americans could really enter the war. That was the goal. That's what they wanted to do in 1918. But to do that, but, to, but, an, but, an, but in order to fucking do that, they have to end combat operations against Russia, against the Russian Empire. And so after the revolution in the spring of 17, the Kerensky Revolution, I think the Germans hatched a plan. And, and in fact, the Kerensky Revolution might have been part of it, folks. I think they've been doing shit like this for a long time, is my point. I don't think it's recent. I don't think that suddenly, like sometimes people will point to the whole Hearst situation vis-a-vis -vis the Spanish-American War and say, well, it looks a little, little hanky-panky with remember the Maine and the bomb and all that. I think it goes back a long, a long ways. And as a Christian, it scares me sometimes to think about how far it goes back. But I do think it goes back a long ways. Um, so I don't think it's cool what they're doing with the CHOP, with the Seattle protests. I think the city of Seattle has some responsibility in all this. And, and in any legal world, if there was a rule of law, which there isn't, there's no more rule of law in this country. It's why people should be a little nervous about living in cities because I don't see a rule of law. I don't see any, I don't see any indication that the system that they say works is working the way it's supposed to. In fact, what it's doing is enforcing stupid laws and rules that are unconstitutional. It's why some states are doing things and some states still aren't, folks. Because technically speaking, there are actually still governors in this country that believe they live in a constitutional republic. You need to meditate on that shit, too. I don't know if it's North Dakota or South Dakota, but, um, or Nebraska, but there's one of these states up there in the north part of the country where this brave woman, and I don't know her name, I wish I did, but you'll know, you'll know. This brave governor said, you know, we're going to do it our way. We're going to be honest. We're going to be true. We're not going to be suckered by the scamdemic. And their numbers are actually ridiculously realistic. Like, they have realistic numbers. Like, well, there's just no discernible issue here with the COVID. There are still governors in this country. This is something folks need to think about because when you think about how things fall apart, this is why the, the optimistic scenario is still scary. Like if you ask yourself, Dan, what's the best case scenario? I'm going to give it to you. I give it to you every time. Actually, before I do, I'm going to get some water. So I have... Uh, Fuck, look, it's almost two hours to people. I have a miniature chair crisis going on right now. Um, I, 
I have a miniature crisis of chairs. I have a crisis of the chair. Yeah, I have a miniature chair crisis. I had a chair I was using that, that came with the apartment that was probably designed for a person who wasn't who didn't weigh as much as I do. And with all the podcasts I did, it became flimsy and unstable, so I used some gorilla tape to reinforce it, but let's be honest, folks, it's it, it didn't work out so great. So now it's basically completely failed. And when you think about it, yeah. That Gorilla Tape is a lot like the shit Ben Bernanke did when you think about it. It's like, well, the chairs failed, but maybe we get some time by taking that chunk of wood and some fucking Gorilla Tape and reinforcing it a bit. It buys us some time. The chair still collapses, though. Yeah, the chair always collapses, folks, in that particular world. Uh, I was going to talk about Wando Bonds, but I'm not ready to. Wando Bonds are more optimistic. It's like the Drunken Monkey. I got to like or like Drunken Monkey Bonds. Oh my god, that's a financial instrument. That is a financial instrument for the next century, the Drunken Monkey Bond. How do we monetize drunken monkeys? And you say, oh, Dan, that's terrible. It's terrible. You know what? You have, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's the sad truth of what I'm thinking right now. So anyways, next topic. And I was going to talk about some survival stuff. I'm not sure I'm going to. I was going to mention I'm still on Twitter as Commander Koenig, Moonbase Alpha. It, you know what? The Twitter thing is it's... I was going to talk about the East Precinct, too. The Seattle Precinct. That's already old news. All of the chop chaos and the chop cleanup and the chop steam cleaning, it's all over. It's old news. And yet, it, and what's really crazy, it just fucking happened. One of the biggest fears I had, and, and actually it would explain why I'm not banned on YouTube or Twitter yet, but one of the biggest fears I've had um, in recent months is that all of this, this shit, and, and a lot of it is true, like the stuff about the pedophilia and the evil, I believe it's all true. But all of it is basically, all of the, the revelation of it is designed for one purpose, and that is to keep people angry and confused and disordered and basically paralyzed in a state of perpetual fear. Yeah. And, and, and you'd say, Dan, why would you do something cray-cray like that? Well, here's what you might be doing. You might be preparing for something so terrible that if people knew it was coming, they would go cray-cray 
and all of a sudden you just wouldn't be able to go away way so quickly. Like what if it's an issue of how do you escape? How do you imagine, for example, um, you were given the order to leave, to take all American forces back to the United States within three months. All U.S. forces and other countries that are not the United States territory or states, you got three months to get them home to a territory or state of the United States. And you had three months, all the forces, special forces, air forces, naval forces, all of it. Three months. I mean, I guess what I would say is it would probably take it'd probably take longer than that unless you want it to be chaos. And I think that's that's the thing, folks. If you thought, if you ran the world and you want, and guess what? The military example is easy compared to what we're talking about. It, it's really easy, folks. The military example is trivial because it really just involves executing a matter of logistics and transport. And still... I don't think you could do it. In a three months or even a year, it wouldn't be easy to do, okay? And yet, it is still easier than what we're talking about. What we're talking about is trying to keep an entire world economy in the dark about something terrible right up until the point it happens. That is one of the fears I have right now. And as a Christian, I know that's wrong. I know that I'm not supposed to have that fear. As a Christian, I know I'm not supposed to have that fear, but as a human being that is also a Christian, that is also an anarchist, I have this fear that all this stupid nonsense and the truth has a similar purpose, and that is to keep us confused and angry and disorganized. And you throw in the mass crap, and it's another polarizing bullshit thing that in a rule of law country would never ever be able to happen. For all sorts of reasons. I can think of reasons, not least of which stores that don't want to be robbed. Okay? If all of a sudden it's okay for everyone to have a mask on, deal with that from a security perspective. So I can think of a lot of reasons why in a rule of law country, if this were a rule of law country, I can think of a lot of reasons why a business would want to say, I don't want mass. And, and not the least of which is they don't help, or the fact that they're probably injuring people, especially in the summertime. But they don't, they don't do anything, and potentially they put people at risk. Because yes, a person can put on the mask and it helps them hide. And folks, I'm not against you hiding your face. But I'm simply making the fucking point that it's crazy. This mass stuff is crazy. In a rule of law country, this mass shit that we're going through would not be allowed. So we're not really a rule of law country, are we, right now, really? I don't think so. <sighs> I was going to talk about... A tweet I made about, I think, Roof Koreans. I don't want to go there because it's just an overplayed thing. I was going to talk about obstacles in Concertina. Um, here's the deal, folks. 
I'm a big believer that if you know how to safely use concertina wire, and it, and please, I'm gonna drink some water because you need to listen to what I'm fucking saying about this. If you know how to safely deploy concertina wire, it can be a very useful thing. Like you can keep a roll of it in your vehicle, even in a small car, and if you safely store it and safely deploy it, it can be a really good security perimeter in a pinch, especially if you can box yourself in someplace. Um, but the key is deploy safely, which means there are gloves that are basically chain mail gloves that you need to wear. You don't wear regular gloves, okay? If you wear regular gloves with concertina wire, your hands are going to get terribly cut. Um, so I was going to talk about obstacles and shit, so I just want to say that. Big believer in concertina wire. If you have a home someplace in the country and you have a basement and you don't have stacks of concertina wire, I have to understand why. What the hell's wrong with you? If you don't have stacks of bags for making sandbags, I have to understand what, what's wrong with you. If you don't have tools for digging trenches and doing things, you don't have chainsaws, what the hell's going on, dude? Um, people need to think about obstacles at this point, especially if you live in the country. You need to think about obstacles. You need to let your friends know how to avoid them. And strangers, listen, don't set up strangers for death. This is not even remotely my point. But you do need to think about ways of making yourself secure. And frankly, some of it belong some of it belongs in the category of here is a dangerous place, here's a sign. If you walk into this place, you're gonna get harmed. I think you have to do both. It's kinda like the thing you have to do at this point in time. But there's gonna be a point in time when things go sideways and maybe you take down the signs. I honestly don't know. I don't want that. Damn it. have an answer to these questions i don't know man just be smart obstacles are important Obs obscuration or concealment you know obstacles that's about cover well it's not really obstacles aren't about cover but anyways obstacles have nothing about do about cover and concealment you also need to think about cover and concealment along with obstacles obstacles are critical but guess what one of the keys to good obstacles is concealment. So concealment is critical. It's terrible. It's why you don't want to put up a sign. That whole sign thing is some... I think sign time's over. I kind of think sign... The, the time of, of putting up a sign that says, here's a minefield, it sounds terrible, but in reality, in the real world, you don't really do that. If you set up an obstacle, and I'm not saying I believe in minefields either, but if you're going to ask me, do I think it's okay that you set up an obstacle to make it difficult for people to attack your home? It's absolutely okay. Do I think you need to be careful about protecting innocent people? Yeah, you do. But how do you do that in 2020? 
How do you maintain operational security with respect to obstacles and cover and concealment in 2020, while at the same time preventing innocent people from being harmed by your obstacles? Now, you might say, well, Dan, it's my private property. And that is a true statement. And and this is where I think we can just stop there and say, okay, it's tragic, it's terrible, but, you know, this is something that happened to a stranger that didn't understand this person had some serious obstacles. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to this one is, folks. I just know concertine is awesome because you can deploy it quickly. And I would say that's the thing about obstacles. I would be smart enough that you... You know what's funny? What if you design your obstacle system in the following way? That it's easy to deploy and modify, modular, and this is where concertina wire will help you. But it's also like putting layers on with, with respect to heat and cold. You know, don't you don't have to immediately go full-scale Mel Gibson, you know, Road Warrior, the oil people, you know, feudal castle zone oil people dressing 1970s all white with bad teeth some of them really pretty in the road warrior but my god a couple of them had really bad teeth they had kind of crappy teeth they had really bad teeth in the road warrior road warrior is the film that followed um the first one <laughs> The first Road Warrior movie. Road Warrior followed, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Mad Max, yeah. So the first one's Mad Max with Mel Gibson. That's the first one about the decaying civilization and the people that drive the supercars as cops to deal with the barbarians on the roads. And um, the second one is Civilization is basically done, but you still have these citadels, and one of them is the oil people. With the bad teeth, the bad teeth. They got bad teeth. Cause, cause you know, I, I remember from Road Warrior, there was helicopter dude. And Helicopter Dude was like, holy shit, I'm Helicopter Dude, I've got a little mini-copter. I think it was technically maybe an autogyro, but he was so fun, and he fell in love with the pretty girl that had really bad teeth. But his teeth weren't any good either, I think. So, that's a match made in halitosis. <laughs> Oh, boy. I laugh about this stuff, about people eating dog food in some scary hellscape of some future that as a kid. As a kid, you see, here's the thing that's scary. As a kid, if I were being honest, I fluctuated. And for the most part as a kid, it was 50-50 between the light and the darkness. Between the part of me that could buy into the Santa Claus and the good shit and stuff's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. 
But then there was the other side, and it, it may be metabolic or physiological. It could be that there's something wrong with my genetics and I suffer from periodic catastrophic depression or something. Who the fuck knows? I don't think that's the case. I think I was feeling, in, in varying degrees, waves of a kind of darkness. And I, and I don't think I'm special. I think a lot of people felt it back then. I think there was music that would capture it back then. Um, I think that there was, there was, a, and, and it got, it changed over time, I think, to the point that you get now, and it's like, yeah, you get this vibe. So I'm talking about this stuff, folks, but I don't know, maybe one of you out there is gonna be flying a minicopter in eastern Washington in a couple of years eating out of, eating dog food with a little cute dog you take along. Maybe it'll be, you know, some people I know. Maybe they'll have a little French bulldog, you never know, flying their helicopter. And um, that could happen. And we don't know. We're in a strange place in human history. I've said this to people. I keep saying it. I'll say it again. And I'm not saying it's sophisticated or smart, dude. But history is boiling right now. If, if you can think of history in entropic terms, history itself, the space of history, the now that we're in, this current now, is big and boiling. It's so big and boiling, it also... Puts into it. It also puts into question. I don't really believe in the multiverse, but I do believe there's an interpretation of Schrodinger's cat that involves basically what I would call the squishy now, the squishy present. The, the, I, I think the present is squishier than we realize, and at times like this in human history, it could be really squishy, so squishy that history itself could be easily rewritten if you had the right technology over short spans of time because it's already so noisy. But then also you're introducing additional energy to the system. So how can that ever be good? You know, it's kind of like firing that laser, that coffee cup. Hey, let's pump that coffee cup with, let's pump that coffee cup with the equivalent energy of, let's say, falling from 100 feet. I think it's reasonable to assume that someone hits it with a pencil and it blows apart a little. Maybe not tor terribly, because think about it. When a coffee cup falls from 100 feet, you can observe this empirically. It doesn't explode. It would probably, you know, you know it would go a few feet, a few pieces, but it, it's unlikely to be a danger to anybody, you'd think. But what if it was falling at 20,000 miles an hour? Then all of a sudden, the math is different. talked about coffee cups and sealing wax and coffee cups and I'm going to be talking about crazy shit with my friend Carmageddon tonight hopefully if I don't fuck it up 
Like, I, f- I just feel like I'm a fuck-up sometimes. Do you ever feel like you're a fuck-up? I've talked about this before. Do you ever feel like you're a fuck-up? And then you say, Dan, that's so beta-cuck. And let me tell you something. I'm not really a beta-cuck in the sense that you think I am. Do I have issues with women? Yeah, I do. I fuck that up. But I'm not like someone who wants to obey anybody. So I, I'm not a very good cuck, if that's the issue. Um, but I have described myself as kind of my spirit animal might be the orangutan because I read once that male orangutans, and this might not be true, tend to live a solitary life. And I think I my spirit animal is probably the orangutan. I'm not saying I'm a good orangutan. I'm not saying I'm a just orangutan. And let's be honest about Planet of the Apes. And I mean the original. I mean Charlton Heston. Fuck all of you. Okay, think Planet of the Apes. The orangutans were kind of like sketchy, okay? Yeah, the gorillas were all like hardcore, you know, almost like the Klingons. <laughs> wow, meditate on that one, folks. It's like Ookla the Mock and Chewbacca. Meditate on that, that shit, folks. Anyways, um, my I think my spirit animal is the is the orangutan, but I don't know that that means anything good or bad, and I'm not sure that helps. I have another topic here that says madness in a time of changing, in a time of changing, behaviors that conform to, so basically madness in a time when things are rapidly changing, a time of changing. Some people call it, and we've just been talking about history's boiling, yeah, you know, the thing is, the other day I tweeted that I felt like I was losing my mind. And I honestly thought it was like an ordinary tweet. Like, you know how you pull out your hair and say, I feel like I'm losing my mind. But you're not really actually losing your mind. Like, you're actually still pretty close to what a reasonable reasonable person would define as sanity. Um, And I'm also not claiming that I am sane. That's a whole nother nut we do not need to crack open. Is Dan sane or is he insane? Why don't you guys call in? Maybe I'll have a phone number next time. I'm thinking about doing this because, but track phones only. Low quality calls, you don't get them. If it's high quality, basic, simple, over the phone, none of this voice over IP, my data plan is run out of the CIA, fuck you bullshit. No, no Klingon bullshit. Yeah. So the topic of madness is simply this. If you're feeling crazy, forgive yourself for it. Don't harm anybody. If you're feeling so crazy you're going to harm someone or yourself, seek help. That's my speech on madness in 2020. If you're not going to harm anyone, my advice is pick the vice that will do the least amount of damage. It sounds like an Irish drunk thing to do, but ultimately, if getting drunk a little tonight will keep you from hurting yourself or somebody else, I would rather see you do that Okay, even though I know Andrew Cuomo basically said you can't drink outside. Oh my God, that just gave me an aneurysm. Like, I think I literally just felt a a pain in my skull 
mentioning Andrew Cuomo and the fucking drinking outside bullshit. It is so stupid. It is so completely stupid. It makes me... It does make me want to do things that I know that Jesus Christ would say we should not as human beings ever fucking do. It is so fucking stupid. Anyways. Madness, madness. Uh, another note here is about getting high to get high. They, The situation with the mass shit now at Uncle Ike's is like, it's just so ridiculous. And it's not like it was like reasonable to buy weed the way we did before. Okay, it should be as easy to buy weed as it is to buy beer. That is my opinion. Prove me wrong. Okay, it should be that, it should be equivalent in my opinion to that. So I should be able to go to Chevron and get two things, beer and weed, in my opinion. And you know what? If a couple big corporations do weed too, as long as you're not poisoning people or poisoning me, I might buy their big corporation weed. But in all honesty, I'll probably buy local. Because I prefer to buy local when it comes to weed and mostly beer. I know Rainier is crap, but that's mostly a, a matter of economics. Let's just get that one out of the way. But when I have money, I do try to buy a local beer. It's more expensive and also usually higher alcoholic content, which is its own thing usually. Anyways, don't want to talk about Uncle Ike's and standing in line six feet apart and doing the whole wear a mask thing and don't touch this and please don't touch that. And you can't really touch the weed. Look at the weed. It's so depressing, so dystopian, so completely removed from anything rational that it does make you, it does make you, I had this podcast about having one day a year where the mayor of Seattle would get to fly an ME-163 around Seattle. So an ME-163 is a German rocket plane with a, I think like a 20 millimeter or something cannon that was capable of flying for about seven minutes. And it was a World War II German rocket plane for attacking bombers. But imagine you just let it, the mayor of Seattle, fly around in the rough equivalent, made slightly safer for purposes of protecting the mayor, one day a year gets to fly around Seattle just shooting at shit. Because you think, damn, that's crazy, that's stupid. Listen, people listen to Paul Krugman. Okay, when Paul Krugman says crazy shit like, wouldn't it be great if we had an alien attack? And people listen to Nancy Pelosi, and you can, you can research this. In 2010, she thought it was a great idea about the Haitian earthquake because it would give them a chance for some economic growth. So yeah, it's gross what I just said. The, oppo the opposite, the opposite of what Bastiat would say is correct. It is literally the broken window. But I had this thought like, wouldn't it be nice though? Because it would be nice to just be teaching people lessons with an ME-163. It's just, it's a nice thought. It's not functional, not good. But it's where this bullshit's pointing me right now. Anyways, next topic. I don't know, the next topic has to do with outer space. Here's the deal. I call myself a cosmological agnostic. I believe Jim is correct. If you look at the mathematics and the experimentation, the model of the Earth as a sphere is sound. And, and that's all anyone needs to say. On the other hand, I also believe 
that there are ways in which God can make it seem exactly that way. And I don't believe God wants to deceive us. But on the other hand, I'm not entirely sure that we know who is deceiving us in that scenario. I don't think it would be God. So it's something you have to think about. Another thing about this too, folks, the debates about what is the world and what is reality, for me at this point is really a question of is, can you, for functional purposes, define reality as a simulation? I need you guys to put on that magical philosopher's hat that was once found by old Aunt Glimbus. No, not Aunt, no, I don't want to talk about Glimbus. You need to put on the old philosopher's fedora that Javier Brisk used to wear when he would read Immanuel Kant at that one coffee, snitty coffee shop off of 45th Street on a cold and clammy October day in Seattle, Washington in the U District, you fuck. Javier would sit there with his fedora, he'd read his Immanuel Kant, and he would ponder deeper questions, questions of ultimate reality, like what the fuck? What is the nature of reality? Is there any functional difference between, between saying that you believe in God and saying that the universe is a simulation? Because in my view, from, from God's perspective, the universe is a simulation. I hate to break it to you guys. I think we're special. I think we're an emergent thing in, this, in the structure that is extremely special. And I think there are other creatures that are also special. But does that mean that matter and energy are what we think they are? I don't really know, folks. I don't know. Because it seems like when I read the Bible, God can do some pretty spectacular things. And, and, and you could say, well, he just suspends physics or, you know, bends light. All that sounds great. But it also sounds like shit people do with game engines. So it's a little bit hard for me to say, oh, okay, I get it. You're saying he's just doing all this shit that makes it sound like he's programming reality. Yeah, I don't know, folks. I don't have an answer. But I just put it this way. I love my friend Jim, and that's one of the reasons why I currently vote for space is real and the Earth is a globe. And yeah, I think there is evidence, and I frankly am too lazy currently. I have too many problems occupying my day. You know what it is? It's this. I was talking to some people recently, and I think Carmageddon as well. I've never been to Paris, France. Now, you could say, Dan, well, whatever, you've never been to Paris, France. I have never been to Paris, France. So if you were to say to me, Paris, France is a real place, I would say, listen, based upon the books I've read, based upon the people I've talked to, Paris, France appears to be a totally interesting, cool, historic, culturally significant place in the world. But I've never actually been there. 
I've never been to Paris, France, okay? So if you were to tell me, is it real? It's like, it, 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 to me, it is a hypothetical. It is, it is not a real thing. It's not, and you can't say, oh, Dan, you must be autistic. No, it's not autism, folks. It's a recognition of the fact that there are different ways to engage with reality. And one way to engage is like the total trust model. The problem with the total trust model is that you often get hoodwinked quite easily. And I don't want to be hoodwinked. So I choose to be more skeptical. It doesn't mean, sometimes I'm too skeptical, by the way. Sometimes if you're too skeptical, you miss out. So it's not simple, folks. There are different strategies. Really, really are. I'm of the opinion that God can do anything God wants to do. So from a functional perspective, the universe could be a simulation or not be a simulation. At any point in time, God can do things. Does that mean God will do something? I believe God also gave us free will. And if we discovered with free will that we were operating functionally equivalent to a simulation in a computer, then I think that would also pose interesting questions, but it doesn't necessarily change the game. In fact, it probably changes nothing. If we found out that reality was programmable, does it change the underlying game? And some people would say, well, I'm like Neo, and I'll use my hacking skills to hack my... No, you won't. The... Let's get something out of the way. The movie The Matrix, it was a movie. That was a movie. You saw a movie. I know there are people... Listen, when the, when the film Matrix came out in 99, that was the year I was leaving the army. And that was actually a year that started out potentially good... Ended out, ended up dark, and, and and it was in my dark phase, you know, the cloud phase, when I saw the movie Matrix. But I did like it. It appealed to where I was at, at the time, leaving the army, not in a great space about it. Um, but it's not reality. That movie had a lot of big holes, and if you're willing to just think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, in a lot of ways. Like, it, it doesn't make sense that you would keep humans alive as a way to generate electricity. I, 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 and, and also, if it did, I think the not... <laughs> I gotta say something. If something like that were feasible, let's just get this... Let's just tear this fucking Band-Aid off. If this could be done... If this was a feasible thing to do to generate electricity from human bodies, I think the Nazis would have done it in World War II. I think, I think the CIA would have done it by now. Listen, it wouldn't be the machines who did it first. If you think machines would do it first, oh boy. Oh boy, you do not understand the enemy that you face. Anyways, I think we can move on from the topic of outer space. I choose to believe it exists, but I also choose to believe that 
it might be functionally equivalent, that all of reality might be functionally equivalent to a simulation. And I also choose to believe that that might not make any fucking difference because the Matrix was mostly bullshit. And, you know, it's like that show, you know, The 13th Floor, I think it was, the other movie that came out in like 98 or 99. And interestingly enough, that was the same year as I left the army, I was getting into computers. I got into computers late. I was a late computer person. I got into computers around 30. It's a weird, weird, weird time to do that as a human being. But needless to say, um, the 13th floor, I think, was the one about where we're, it's a simulation in a simulation. And, and that's the thing where you're, you're really at that movie, which I love in a lot of ways, you're left with the question of, eh, are they still in a simulation? How would they know? I think one of the things we've discovered with mathematics and engineering, and this is the thing about mathematics and engineering and physics, we need to really meditate on the chemistry, the physics, the biology, the engineering, the mathematics. We need to think about this. We've reached the point where we are programming matter. We're talking about nanoscale technology for programming matter. It's not quite precisely programming matter yet. It's not like the Genesis device and fucking Star Trek to Wrath of Khan. We're not quite there yet. But we are currently at a scale of science where people are talking about the ability to program um, structures way beyond just 3D printing. Like at the atomic scale, the molecular scale, putting things together. Um, we're currently doing stuff like that. So anyways. And you could say, well, what do you mean? What's, what's so relevant? Well, I think we're discovering something. I think we're learning something and potentially rediscovering something. Something that probably shaman and mystics and other people throughout time understood and we're rediscovering it, that reality is a bit more fungible than we think. And that perhaps the 3D printers and the programmable matter are basically pointing in a certain kind of fucking direction. And that is reality as we know it is malleable. Now, does that mean that you as a human being have the power to just with your mind change the course of history? Well, think about that one for a second. If you assassinated the right person at the right time, you could change the course of history. So here's the thing, folks. A lot of these things have functional equivalents. Like if you're saying, well, wouldn't you be able to change everything? It's like, well, people are already doing that. But I don't think that's how it works. I don't think you'd be allowed to crack the code. It, I think if you could crack the code, it would probably be catastrophic. And that's another thing, too. Jim and I, and AJ and I, and I think others, I kind of hope, actually, I kind of hope I remember this tonight with Carmageddon, if I, didn't, if I don't have too much can of butter coffee. Yeah. But Jim and I talked about CERN, you know, the um, Large Hadron Collider, the Large Super Collider at CERN in Switzerland. And it's actually, a part of it's in France and other countries as well, I think. But um, And the, the, the accidents they've had and the weird, weird things that have happened around it and the weird, that really strange documentary they did, you know, Symmetry or something, that really gross 
New World Order kind of demonic documentary that looked like basically a kind of mythical artistic tale of opening a portal to hell. And if, it, okay, so if you think about it, if simulation and reality vis-a-vis -vis God is equivalent, then, then also you could think about something like CERN and, and an accident from a different perspective. All of a sudden is what if they broke something? Because here's the thing, with a lot of, op with a lot of computers and a lot of operating systems, there's stuff you can break and the operating system can recover without crashing. It's not that big a deal. But then there's kernel level stuff, like for example, stuff that deals with file handles at the kernel level where the, the hold you have on a file handle, and a file handle, for, just so you know, is just a pointer to a file. It can, be, it can be precisely like a text file or a document file. Think of it like a pointer, literally like your hand is pointing towards something. But imagine a scenario where you, you had kernel level operations, and a lot of software does. Um, even emulated shit usually ends up with lo with little loose ends like that. You might end up with a screwed up file handle that potentially could end up creating a situation for the operating system where it starts to build up a memory leak. And eventually you crash the computer. So the thing is, there's stuff that a computer can recover from. There is. But if anyone tells you there's an operating system that will never crash, that's, nah, that's, that's a lie. The only thing you can do is potentially build an operating system that has a really good ability to record operations so that you can restart it reliably every week. Because <laughs> uh, I'm I'm, I'm, I know people think I'm old-fashioned. It's like, Dan, that's old-fashioned. We have clouds. You have to worry about, listen, dude, the cloud is bullshit. And if you ask me, any plan you implement where you can't restart that server once a week, any software plan you implement where you cannot do that, that's bad software. So I, for reasons that should be fucking obvious. So yeah, I would do that because it flushes the system. Modern operating systems, st you know, starting with Unix, which is the most beautiful. These are complex systems. They may not seem like they're complex systems, but they become complex because they build upon simple relationships. And, and so, yeah, if you just run a couple programs on your Linux box, the thing could probably run for all practical purposes forever without crashing. But if you're running a lot of software, and God forbid you're running a modern browser, you can put a lot of things in the shell which is running above the kernel into a wonky state. And if you're not really comfortable opening up the shell to do stuff, for all intents and purposes, your computer is crashed. So my point is simply this. If you were to say to me, Dan, if there's a God, how could it be a simulation? I would say to you, if there's a God, why couldn't it be? And, it, and guess what? Like I said, just because it's a simulation doesn't mean you get something that God doesn't want you to have. That's the key message here. If there's some superpower you think you've discovered because the universe is a simulation, you have it because God wants you to. Or because the devil stole it and gave it to you, but that's between you and the devil, and I don't want to talk about it. I don't like talking about the devil, really. I think the devil has a lot of airtime right now. I had one note here about Noom. 
I'm watching the fucking YouTube videos and the Noom commercials come on, like Noom. I just, I started Noom 10 minutes ago. I started Noom 10 minutes ago. And I've already lost 600 pounds. Yeah, these Noom commercials are coming on, and I'm just thinking, guys, let's let's have some real talk here for a second, because we're going to talk reality, and I know I feel like I'm going back to previous topics here, like the whole fuck. This has been a long podcast. I told you guys I had to clear the gumbus out, but I feel like, yeah, I'm going back a bit here, and I'm saying, listen, the, the will happen, the what happened, the what might happen. I think there's a fairly good chance there's going to be a famine that may already be taking hold in certain places. And it didn't have to be. If you're saying, did it have to be? Like, you know the whole, does it have to be? Will it happen? Should it happen? It didn't have to happen. We don't have to have a famine. But I think one is being engineered. And that too, I don't understand. The only, th- the only way this famine makes sense is if it's a psyop, for purposes of channeling food to Antarctica, or potentially it is, re- you know, the th- stuff they're doing is real and they simply want to crash society with a famine. I just don't know. They may, they may have a stockpile of food. They may do like what I've talked to Jim and others about, and they may just go off to their safe zones and watch us kill each other. I don't really know. But we can talk about this whole, oh, isn't it funny Noom has a commercial and people say things like, I lost 16 pounds in, you know, two months. Well, I don't think you're going to need to worry about that. I'm not saying get fat. Actually, I would say if you're overweight, do what I'm trying to do and I'm fucking up. Eat better. Eat, try to come up with a food source that you can live off of and try to lose some weight and exercise. You know, I'm not doing a great job on all those things, but I would recommend doing that. But um, I wouldn't necessarily say you have to radically worry about losing weight. I would have a lot of vitamins on hand because if you think your fat is a source of energy that's pure and nice and good, in reality, it's probably a filter for the body. So as you consume your fat, it's going to be a toxic process as well. So have vitamins on hand and all that stuff that goes along with that. But um, I, I think if you're just moderately overweight, I wouldn't worry about losing weight right now. Because I think in a few months, that's not going to be your concern. And I'm sorry for being all scary, but that I think is reality. I had a a note in here about staying alive in a dystopia, but this sort of relates to that Dr. Freckles quote, I think from yesterday about hiding your smile from demons. I don't want to retread that, so let's just leave it there. But it is true, folks, dude. In a a dystopia like the Soviet Union, you got to be careful about being happy because people, Karen, as we'll call that person now, Karen is on the lookout for people that are happy. So you got to be careful. I have a note in here about construction workers keeping them busy. You know, I got to say something. That makes a lot of sense, too, for different scenarios. Like, 
when you think about the essential workers, there's a lot of construction going up right now that in no rational universe would you say this is essential. If this is the pandemic they're telling us that it is, why are they building this micro studio project with this extendo parking lot and blah, blah, blah? Why are they doing this? And, and there is no good reason. There's no logical reason for why they're doing it at all. If this is a pandemic, as they describe it. But I was thinking about this question. Why keep all these construction workers busy? And I think here's a good answer. If this is some type of new world order takeover bullshit, the construction workers and the loggers and the truckers and the people that know how to run heavy equipment are probably going to be essential in the battle against the new world order. These are going to be people who know how to not just put things together, but to tear things apart, like my dad used to know how to do. So actually, I was thinking about this recently, the whole, why are they keeping the construction workers busy? Well, if their plan, and this is what's so dark, it's like that machine gun fire, or excuse me, automatic fire. I think it was automatic fire from last night. Um, a reason for doing this is because there's going to be some major failed state takeover. And it'll happen soon. And it, and it may happen in an almost invisible way. Or it may happen in a really heavy-handed way. And it may look a lot like the shit that happened in places like Chile and Argentina back in the 80s. And folks, if you're one of these Pinochet drop commies out of helicopters, you need to know something. Other people were dropped out of helicopters. The reality is we don't know what's coming for certain. But right now, if you thought Trump was going to save you, uh, and anyways, as far as staying alive in a dystopia, here's my advice. You shouldn't be ashamed. To, you should not be ashamed to smile. But if you're doing some basic things in a rational way to survive, like putting on a mask in a cockeyed way so at least you can go shopping for food, I, I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing. Because I, I want to be able to buy food, as long as food can be bought. Anyways, keeping construction workers busy. I, I, that's my theory about the construction workers. I went a little off track there, backwards in time. I think they're keeping the construction workers busy because the construction workers would be good allies in the quote-unquote sometimes called Boogaloo, and you keep them busy, they're not really interested in doing Boogaloo things. That's what I think. I have a note about Antifa killing COVID. That's, I don't want to talk about that. The whole thing is too depressing. I have a note about Jesus wasn't always happy. I don't need to talk about that. See the Garden of Gethsemane. See the, see the night before his great trial if you don't believe me. And that's not the only example. Jesus sometimes, even Jesus sometimes, believe it or not, had those moments. I have a note that says God puts his finger on, on the scale, and here's what I mean by that. I believe we have free will. 
But I do believe, and this kind of does connect to that whole simulation theory rant. Um, yeah, because I did skip over the Chevron thing. I don't think I want to talk about eating at Chevron. But yeah, so um, God puts his finger on the scale. This is what I mean by that. We have free will. Okay, we can make choices. Like, I can choose to drink or not drink, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I do think God periodically does things because there is still God's plan. So free will is tricky. You know, we do have free will, but we really don't have the power to be God. And if we could change the course of all history willy-nilly, okay, without knowing it, that would be like God. I'm not saying people don't change history. They do that all the time. But do they do it with a certainty of knowing the map of history to come? No. That's what God does. So anyways. Next topic, unforgiven. I already talked about forgiving. Last topic on my list so I can move on from this dread backlog and we can talk about new Star Trek adventures and the underworld of the upside-down realm of the Little Saigon Report. Terminator Salvation. I don't want to talk about that. That movie's too stupid to talk about. Terminator Salvation. I don't have to tell you. Can you hear the winkle wasps of the Wonkleberries? going with that folks sometimes i drift off into a strange space that i sometimes call the impossibilicus i'm a, i know the keyboard is terrible if you want to yell at me for being a son of a bitch you can send me messages through space and time most of your laser beam hate gets rejected as junk mail because i have my own resonator and if you're asking yourself is there a place that i can escape to with the Trebulac beasts and the Blombi and the forces of the outer plane can't come for you on horses with chainsaws? The answer is no. If you want to know there's a, if there's a place to escape from the French bulldog armies when the time comes, the answer is no. If you want to know if there's a land beyond the Sklimbic realm where the Kremulac creatures live and sometimes they're angered by love,
Yeah, I don't know, folks. I think that went crazy. That went to a crazy place of impossibilicus. But my point is this. This is the Little Saigon Report. I currently don't have much money, but I have patrons who've already given me too much time or money, so I would ask that they ignore this if they can. But for those of you out there who have taken care of your food, your water, your shelter, you've taken care of everything you take care of in this life that, that matters, and you have extra money for things that you really don't need, things that you want like chocolate or Coca-Cola or beer or weed or the Little Saigon Report. Isn't it funny how that might all fit together? If you have money for things you want because you've taken care of things you needed and you want to give me a little bit of your money as a donation, there will be links to Venmo and PayPal in the notes of this podcast. I'll take as little or as much as you want to send me. I am not at this point too proud to reject extreme generosity, but what I won't do, I won't do special favors. Um, I am perfectly willing to negotiate doing shows that advertise a product, but I truly would prefer to try the product before I would do that. And I'm not, I'm just kind of a hobo. Who wants me to rep a product? What, Ferrari? We're Ferrari of Little Saigon. Did you know Dr. Freckles drives a Ferrari of Little Saigon? Yeah, I don't think that works out, so. Yeah. Anywho, folks... I appreciate your time. I appreciate your effort. If you have taken care of the things you need and you have money for things you want and you want to help me, I'd appreciate it. But that there are people out there who've already been way too generous, so I just ask them to ignore the message. Because frankly, I need people out there to look out for themselves as well. Anywho, for what? Wednesday? Holy shit! It's almost 1 p.m., which means we've been doing this for a whole bunch of time, but now we've gotten rid of the shit list. It's not shit list. Gotten rid of the basic list. We're down through the basic list. That list is now done. It's delisted. Now that we delisted the list and we transcended the backlog and our operating system is currently running in sync with the world, well, we don't have to worry about a core dump that results from a segmentation fault or anything like that. Fucking pointer errors. You kidding me? No seg fault here. Just more life. <laughs>